Let's let's get going. Come on. Ready when you are. I'm ready. I mean, we've been listening to y'all talk about Snuggies and pins. I mean, I mean, we're ready. This is a production of Dirty Mo Media. Hey everybody, it's Dale Jr. back again for another episode of the Dale Jr. Download. Mike Davis here. Nope. We got Matthew Dillner, Leah Vaughn. Awesome guests coming in. Joe Gibbs, I'm a huge Redskins fan. We're going to talk football, we're going to talk racing. Let's get started. Redskins football coach Joe Gibbs knows how to win championships. I'm sure a lot of people in the sports world were surprised when Joe Gibbs announced recently that he would field a NASCAR Winston Cup team in 1992. I'm going to try and uh, give the guys everything it takes and cheer for them. He's He's going to make it. Dale Jarrett's going to win the Daytona 500. How many people get to participate in two Super Bowls? There he goes. He's won the Super Bowl of stock car racing. Joe Gibbs. Bobby Labonte is the NASCAR Winston Cup champion for 2000. So first off, uh, the you're here. It's Monday morning. The uh, the race in Michigan rained out yesterday. It's postponed until later this afternoon. Oh. And you flew all the way here to do this podcast. Now you can you. <laughs> Just just to come down here not, to see There's got to be I another did, reason. Not, no, that, that Hey, listen, I was going to sleep up there and have a good time right? and everything. They said, you got Junior has got to do a radio show. He said, get your butt down there. And, so and you're going back. Yeah, I'm going to so go back this afternoon. Just, we're, you're going to learn a lot about Joe Gibbs as you listen to this podcast and what an amazing person he is. But right, that right there says it all to me. For real. No, seriously, thank you. That that's uh, come uh, all the way to, to do this. That means a lot. I had to laugh. There were two guys outside. I said, I'm gonna go inside and tell Junior to get his butt out here and yeah. sign his stuff. <laughs> there so, you go. <laughs> to kick it off, man, I did not know. I should know this. I mean, I should know everything about you being a big Redskins fan I am, but I did not know you were born in North Carolina. What Marksville, I had North no Carolina? idea. Absolutely. So Mox- so <laughs> What? How you ended up going to co- high school and college in, in California? But yeah. how, so, how long were you in North Carolina? I was till I was sixteen. I, I was born in Marksville, two years there. Then we moved up to Asheville, Inca. My dad was a sheriff up there. And so that's why you place. were moving. We moved up to Asheville, and then when I got to be sixteen, we moved to Southern California. Then, honestly, Southern California, you would have loved it. It was drag racing, hot rods. Honestly, it was a great time in the late 50s and early 60s. Everybody had a hot rod and stuff, and I got hooked on cars. That's where I got hooked on cars in California. Yeah. Well, yeah. why did so, why did you move to California? What was my, it? We were starving to death, and what <laughs> <laughs> wasn't happening in North Carolina is what you're saying. It was, it was, I think the average income was about two thousand oh dollars a year God. or something. Uh-huh. So we we were we decided we we had an uncle that left and went to California, got a great job, and so everybody followed him out there. Really, that's interesting. Wow, yeah. for real. And so you in in high school played uh, your quarterback. Yep. And uh, you went to college. You went to, uh, how do I pronounce that? Kurt Cerritos. 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 Yeah. Uh, junior college. And then in Sa- then you went to San Diego State University. I wasn't smart enough to get into college right away. I had to go to junior college. Worked your way up. <laughs> That's all right. Physical education was your major. <laughs> yeah. And 
Were you so, playing football at either of those schools? I was. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So did you? Did, were you starting? I, I was just good enough to start. That's about it. I told <laughs> honestly, the only award I ever got in sports was most improved. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that probably speaks to a work ethic or something. I mean, I think you're underselling yourself. You immediately went. Um, so, how do you go from uh, you? Do you gra- you graduated and, and became an assistant for San Diego State immediately? Yeah, what well, was really crazy, and this is an interesting trivia story. So, graduated from college, you know, and I felt like, hey, I love sports. I went into our head coach, who was Don Coriel. A lot of people. You guys are too young, but a lot of people think Don Coriel should be in the Hall of Fame. Uh, he wound up coaching in pro ball and everything. And so I said, hey, coach, said, I'll just volunteer for nothing. Can I work, start working in, as an assistant coach? And he goes, he goes, yeah, today it's called a graduate assistant. A lot of kids right. do it. So this is the crazy thing. He said, I think you need to start on defense with my defensive coach who was – John Madden. Oh, he was really? the defensive coordinator. So yeah, so that's what? that's how I, I got started coaching. I really was the gopher. I used to. Uh, he had Wednesday nights classes that he took up in Fullerton. I used to drive him up to Fullerton. He'd sit in the back seat. John. John, smoke a cigarette, eating peanuts, and read the paper, and I would drive him up there. And drive oh wow! Him back. So you really were the gopher. You, I was the you gopher. Were, that's crazy. You were the Uber driver. His Uber driver back me. then. Believe me, and I tell the story, he, he, this is a true story now. So it came down towards the end of the first year, and they were going to have an alumni game. And so the head coach came to me and said, you got all your buddies. Why don't you coach up the alumni team and play us? And teams used to do that in college. So I said, do you want me to coach to try and win? Or, or is it, you know, you're just going to set me up? And, you know, he goes, no, 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 it's cute. Felt he had a lift, John. Don didn't. He said, you fella, he says, do the best you can there. He says, he says, whatever you want. And so I work on things, coaching with my buddies. We go down about three weeks working on this. Two days before the game, John Madden came to me and said, I want all of your plays. I said, I'm not giving you the plays. He goes, I said, I want all those plays on my desk by this afternoon. Dang. Or you're done. It's one of those deals. So I wasn't going to do that. So anyway, we played the game, and it didn't go real well because we were pretty close, like 13-10 or something. After the game, I walk up the stairs, go to see Pat, my sweetheart. Madden walks over and goes, you are fired. Wow. Like that. I went like this. I went, I don't make anything. How are you going to fire <laughs> <laughs> And so I go in the next day to Don Coriel, and he goes, I mean, uh, yeah, to Don, and he goes, uh, hey, I, says, I said, coach, I said, John fired me last night after the game. And he goes, you fella, come <laughs> over and work with me on offense. And that's, and that's, <laughs> that's how I got the offense. Really? If it hadn't been for Madden, I'd probably be coaching defense someplace. But why, why did they put you on defense in the first place? You were a quarterback. <laughs> no, it was just, I was just begging for a They job. were just put, put, putting so, you anywhere. So yeah. did thing, were things rough with John for a while? Or? It was rough with John for, for a while. For how long? Uh, I, I'd say for a couple of months there. We oh. were but y'all, kind of strange relationship. But then after that, you know, he's doing the TV stuff. I'm coaching Redskins. And got all we, got to be, we got to be friends again. But John was very smart. And uh, I, I've had a lot of respect for him. And, of course, he did a great job with the Raiders. Yeah, for my generation, he's kind of like the godfather of football because he yeah. made this amazing game that we played forever as, as kids, uh, you know. So when you grow up playing John Madden on 
every day, you know, right. you think, man, this is the guy. Obviously, we I didn't grow up when he was when he with the Raiders as a coach, but um, pretty interesting your connection to John. I you won the. <laughs> I, I don't know if it's true or not. You won the national thirty-five and over racquetball championship <laughs> in nineteen seventy-six. I got hooked on, I got hooked on racquetball. I moved to St. Louis, and in St. Louis, racquetball is really huge. And so I got to play in there locally. And had you ever played? Uh, oh yeah. I, well, I played handball first. Uh-huh. In when, the old when, days, in the old days, guys played handball. Yeah. 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 You guys wouldn't even know what that is, but. And then these guys started showing up with rackets. <laughs> and so we, it ticked us off for a while. But then I said, okay. I started playing racquetball, moved to St. Louis to coach there. And in St. Louis was a hotbed of racquetball at the Jewish Community Center there. Most of the kids that grew up in there, that's where the great racquetball players came from. And I got in a relationship, look it up sometimes, Marty Hogan who, when he was 15, I begged him to, I called him up one day and I said, please, please let me come over and play, you know, and he, he cocky little rat, you know, and he goes, nah, nah, I'm not going to do that, and I'm not going to waste my time. I finally got over there, we got to be friends, played racquetball tournaments all over the place, me and him would go, and he, he would tell me, he goes, I'm going to be the greatest racquetball player in the world, and I go, shut up, Marty, what are you talking about? He wound up being the greatest racquetball player in the world for about 10 years. Really? So, yeah. So how so did you find time in between doing – because you, you were talking about hired – you were hired to uh, yep. go coach at, at the Cardinals, right, yep. in St. Right. Louis. So how do you have time between coaching? Because it's it, you, you're up till 4 in the morning working yeah. as a coach, sleeping a couple, to a couple hours a night. The crazy thing was I got in a relationship with a local construction guy and Don Coriel, and we built a racquetball club. And so we all went in on this deal. And so I'm kind of part of the ownership. I would work in, in football on Monday nights, and I would tell the guy that ran the club, you stay there till 1 in the morning. I would come over at 1, and we'd play from 1 to 3. What? <clears throat> what did your wife night? think about all yeah. that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I need to learn. Yeah. She, was, <laughs> she was a home in bed. She was in bed, sleep. But uh, and then I got hooked on it, and then I started playing tournaments. How good was it? How, how good? Come on, yeah, now don't yeah. don't be bashful. I mean, like if you're winning championships here, thirty-five and over championships, you got to be good. I mean, how good would it? Were you? Uh, thirty-five and over, figure it out. You know, I mean, it's oh, you not, say the, not no... the young guys, and <laughs> the young guys are really good. The pros are really good, but that was amateur too, and they had pros in those days, and it was a big deal for a long time. Uh, but it kind of. You know, it kind of drifted away. I, I I loved it as a sport. Yeah. So you don't still play? It's really fun. I, I don't. I'm you tra- probably still have it though, if you ever. Do. I, I'm trapped. Believe me, I don't have it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, both, both of my kids, Coy played when we were at the Redskins when we were up there coaching, and so I went to play him. This is, you know, about ten years after I quit playing. I played him one time down at the beach. I went in there and I figured I'm, I'm gonna wipe him out. You know, there's no deal. <laughs> He ran me from one of that place up. The next day, I was sore from top to bottom. My butt hurt so bad. I said, man, I may never recover from this. So I went back to the treadmill. <laughs> the treadmill is where you're the champion yeah, now. Yeah, I, I got gotcha. you. Yeah. Who is the player you enjoy coaching the most? Uh, people ask me that, and honestly, lots of times I'll start off and say, Otis Wansley, Pete Cronin, Greg, and they'll go, who is that? Yeah. And huh. they were special teams players that meant so much to our team, such great hearts. I mean, you're talking about guys covering – 50-yard 
you know, punts and tackling somebody or breaking the wedge. On a football team, those are guys sometimes that are really appreciated by even the stars, right. you know. is those guys are paying a price and meant so much to the team. And, you know, that's the greatest thing about team sports and football. I love that aspect of it that everybody's kind of – it's a place where you learn to sacrifice for mm. the other guy. I used to tell – in football in particular, I used to say – you guys are the luckiest people in the world. You're getting paid to hit somebody. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and it's physical, and the practices, and some of the stories and things that happen in practice, some of the funniest things that have ever happened. I still remember those. We had a reunion here five years ago. For what? And For the football team, uh, for the Super Bowl years, oh. the 11 Super Bowl years. We had 92 guys come back. And... I thought I was the only guy that had that emotional attachment to everything, and it meant so much to me. Every guy that got up almost got emotional and said it was the greatest time in their life and all the things we did, you know, about getting to Super Bowls and stuff. Wow. It, was, it was really a – it's really – it's not as much – I mean, I was standing out on the field after our last Super Bowl. I really remember this. I was standing out there and waiting to do the interviews. Game's over with. We won the game. Charles Mann was standing next to me, our defensive end, <laughs> and he he looked at me and he said, you know, Coach, it's not as much having won it. It's journey getting here. Mm. Those practices, you know, the losses, the blood, sweat, and tears, you know what I mean? It's a grind, you know, and to be able to do that, I think he's right. I think it's all the things that you remember on a team like that when everybody's and, – and just some teams get it. You've been around good yeah, teams. Culture. Some some teams that will grab it. You know what I mean. And not, and the next year we had our worst year after a Super Bowl year. You can't say it's going to happen the next year. It's that certain feeling, and some guys and some teams grab it. And man, I, I kind of had the confidence of saying, "Hey, our guys are going to handle it." I knew that our guys would uh, would rally. We had a group too of about 10 players that I kind of called our, you know, our captain's group there, and I would meet with them. If we had a problem, I'd go, this is your team. Mm. <laughs> fix it. And, and, and I would say this. They would. They'd fix it. Yeah. I'd lay it on them. It wasn't going to be me. <laughs> is that what? It was always great coaching, man. It's sometimes right. about to... <laughs> but is, it, I was about to ask you, what, in hindsight, what was it that your team lacked that next year that, that uh, deprived you all of that it factor but yeah. is is it the nucleus of captains and the accountability that you could probably point to, or is it, or, or are you able to tell even in hindsight what it is that, that either you have it or you don't have it? For well, there's a lot of things go against you when you win a Super Bowl. First of all, it goes later in the year because you play in the Super Bowl. Right. Then everybody's celebrating for a month or two afterwards. You get started a little bit late, and then the next year, it's the way everybody looks at you. All they have to say to their team is, we're playing the Super Bowl team. So they look at you differently. They play you differently. Yeah. And you kind of put all that together, and you don't really grab it. Mm. It's kind of hard to, you know, we've all played on teams and been a part of teams. I think that's one of the things that I worry about. Our young people, our grandkids now, they got all the devices and everything, you know. But it's relating to people, being on a team, sacrificing for the team, 
you know, those are the kind of things we don't want to lose in our society. And so I think that's what team sports give us, all the team sports. I'm a big, big fan of the underdog, underdog, underdog story. So do you know, can you tell me a player that you didn't think when you got him on the team he was going to make it, but he did make it? Yeah, I had uh, I had a bunch of those. Um, I went to work out Neil Lomax out in Portland, Oregon, and I always remember this the quarterback. And so I go out there, and there's a kid out there. He's about six three, about two thirty five, you know. And I'm going, hey, it's tight end. Yeah, I'm sure he can't run. And he ran like a deer. And I said, well, I'm sure he can't catch. And so we start throwing stuff. He's catching everything. So I go to the phone, call Bobby Bether, our general manager, and I said, hey, there's a tight end out here. It looks pretty good. Look up the stats. And he goes, they didn't have a tight end. They were in a run and shoot. And I went, what are you talking about? He said he he looked up, he, he looked him up, and he goes, he was a split receiver. Huh. This guy gained like 30 pounds in like, you know, two months or something like that. Clint Didier came and played for us uh, for six years, really. And there's all kinds of stories like that. Um, one of my favorite stories, after the draft – you have a, you know, in those days, you've signed a bunch of free agents, okay? So that's a big recruiting deal because they could go anywhere because they're not drafted. It's who gives them the most money and everything. So we were going through that the very first year I coached there. I kept walking down the hall, and there's a huge kid sitting in there just reading a book. And so I figured, you know, we're trying to sign him. So they brought him in to me. I had just – we had just signed another offensive lineman. We drafted Russ Grimm and all these guys. I said, no more offensive linemen. So they brought this kid in. I figured he's a defensive lineman. Right. And so he sits there, and I start talking to him, Joe Jacoby. And so I'm <laughs> talking to him the whole time. No, I spent 10 minutes selling him on, we play a 4-3, we're going to be <laughs> you know, you know, all this kind of stuff and everything. Never said a word. We finished it, and I go, Joe, I says, what do you think? And he goes, no, oh, coach, he says, I really like it here. So I'm just waiting for my agent to tell me we'll get this done. So he walks out. I think we signed him for $5,000 or something. Wow. So later on in the day, they handed me the sheet, and I saw Joe Jacoby, offensive lineman. I went nuts. I called, back th- I called the, our, our, uh, man, our general manager back down there, and I said, hey, can we get out of this? This is how smart I am. <laughs> He goes, no, we're committed to this guy. <laughs> Jacoby goes out there, offensive lineman, right from the very first start. Free agent. This kid, I mean, plays his rear off, goes to Pro Bowls. He was with us for four Super Bowls. That's a good example. And today, one of the greatest guys. He's here in Charlotte. And it's those kind of relationships and all the things that happen there, you know. that, And that's kind of over and over again, but just a couple of the <laughs> – Wild stories you get, the free agents. I, you know, obviously was a big fan of the team in the 80s. Uh, Dave Butts gave me one of his helmets at an appearance like a couple of years ago. Play, uh, uh, the, I think it was the 84 helmet uh, from 1984. Uh, first game I watched with the Redskins was 1982. You won the Super Bowl against the uh, Miami Dolphins. That's the first game I remember ever watching, ever. And... Uh, yeah, you know, my mom lived in Norfolk, Virginia, Chesapeake Bay, Redskins territory. I'd go up there uh, twice a year to visit her. Everything I got at Christmas had Redskins logo on it. Um, I cried through the loss of the Raiders the next year in 1984. I think I, did, I, did, did, too. Too. <laughs> I did too. I did too. Yeah. I, it was the hardest. My dad uh, had the habit of pulling for whatever team 
that I wasn't pulling for. Oh. So whoever the Redskins <laughs> played, he just pulled for him just to be yeah, spiteful. Yeah. yeah. And he had a good night. Yeah. And um, I watched you guys beat the Broncos in military school in 1988. Yeah. I mean, you remember where you were and, and, and what you were doing in those moments. You retired uh, in 1993 with a 100, 140 and 65 record. Um, in 1996, you were inducted into NFL Hall of Fame. In 2004, you decided to come back. After all those years, what was the reason? Why did you? I mean, I know right. it was a good deal. <laughs> You're shaking well, your head. But no, I, honestly, you know, I never I, gave it a thought for a long right, time. Right. Nobody would have ever guessed now. you were going to do yeah. that. Loved racing. We're knee deep in racing. I tell you what changed there was JD and I when we started the race team. Coy was still in school, and Coy was playing uh, football at Stanford. When Coy was, a lot of people don't know this, he was a four-year starter at Stanford. Started the second game of his freshman year and never came out a middle mm-hmm. linebacker. And so I would go West Coast to watch him play, you know, and then come back to the races. And JD and I, you know, uh, and the team, all the guys started the race team here. So uh, I, I, I think having got out of football, spent 11 years, Coy all of a sudden said, Dad, I think I want to coach. I don't think I want to go into the racing. Coy was paranoid about following his brother or right. me. He wanted to do his own thing. He was going to coach. So I started thinking about all this. And so I sat down with my wife. Just, I always laugh about this in the library. And I said, Mom, let, let, let me ask you. I need to talk to you about something. She goes, yeah. And she goes looking at me. And I said, listen, you know, the race team's doing good right now. J.D.'s running a race team. She goes, yeah. Said, you know, uh, the grandkids have never seen us, you know, in coaching. He goes, Yeah. And I says, and Coy's kind of wanting to go into coaching. So I go down for a ways, kept saying all these things. She was looking at me kind of funny. And I said, what do you think about us going back to coaching? She goes, you're going to ruin your good name. (laughs) 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 And I told her after the first year we went six and ten, I said, we're halfway there. Oh, my (laughs) goodness. Oh, my goodness. I think, I mean, for Redskins fans, I don't even remember what, what the records were over those over those years. We were in heaven uh, with you on the sidelines. But I don't think anybody would have ever bet a million dollars that you were going to come back, especially yeah. after all those years. Yeah. And how different was that experience as a coach um, a decade later? Yeah, well, what you learn in pro everybody always asks me, what do you think has changed about the NFL? And I said, everything with the exception of human nature. Human nature never changes. The same things excited us 2,000 years ago that excite us today. People react the same way. The money may be more. The drugs may be more. Whatever. It's the same things. And so I felt like, you know, I knew that football had all had changed, a hard cap and all the different zone blitzes and all the things. I knew I had a big learning curve there. But I felt pretty comfortable. It's the same thing in racing and you know, you've experienced that. You get the right people together, you're going to look good. You know what I mean? They're going to make you look good. If you're the right – if the football coach picks the right 45 guys, he's going to make you – they're going to make you look good. And so, Coy wanted to go back to coaching, and so me and Coy, we took off and went back to the Redskins. And J.D. ran the race team here and won a championship in the middle of that. They didn't need me. J.D. was doing such a good job, and uh, so it was kind of an exciting time. For, I wanted to stay five years. I signed a contract for five years, 
But the fourth year, um, our little guy Taylor had leukemia. And I came back in the off-season that fourth year, and they did a video at his birthday. And I realized in watching the video, I was never in it. I was gone. And he was going to the hospital all the time and getting his shots and all that. And so I said, hey, you know, I think it's time for me to come back. Yeah. And so from a family standpoint and Taylor's standpoint, I... I came back at that point after four years. We went to playoffs a couple of times. I felt like we had them going back in the right direction. Absolutely. So. I think it, we, all, all the Redskins fans loved it, um, me, in, me in particular. What players do you still uh, speak to regularly today? Uh, I think um, we had a charity event here. We got a prison ministry, and we had a charity event golf tournament. So quite a few come back for that. Uh, Jeff Bostic, um, you know, Jacoby lives here now. I see those guys, uh, Clinton Portis, that come through every now and then. The new generation guys, uh, quite a few. You know, I, I, I try to stay in contact with them and try and help if there's anybody that's got any kind of issues going. Um, so, but I, you know, it's hard because everybody's chasing all over oh, yeah. the place. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. Redskins fans have grown frustrated with Dan Snyder and Allen and lack of playoff appearances, overall success with the organization. I'm one of them. Uh, you're a hero to all Redskins fans. I've gotten to know Dan over the years. Yeah. Given the chance to sit down and change the mind of one single fan about Dan Snyder and as yep. the owner of the team, what would you say? Here's here's what I'm going to give you this straight scoop. This is right from my heart. When I went there, that man did every single thing he could do to try and help me to win games. When we lost games, it was my fault, not his. And there would be free agency – a lot of people miss this. In free agency, it starts at 12.01 at midnight. That Dan Snyder was right with me, and we'd start calling players. And that very first year, we signed about five guys in that free agency. Everybody wants the Redskins to be involved in free agency because they know Dan will do what? Make a deal. Yeah. Mm. He was right there with me, and we did sign about five or six players that I think – so he was great in free agency – Never once, I just say to every fan out there, never meddled with anything, with, with football, never meddled. Now, he was there to give support, talk about things. He would laugh because I'd come down the hall in the morning, I'd slept there, you know, overnight, and I'd have my white socks on, they'd be half on, half off, and I'd be coming down the hall, and he'd start laughing when he saw me. And he's got a great sense of humor. I'm just saying, for whatever reason, I would say to any Redskin fan, Dan deserves to have a Super Bowl because he, that team means so much to him. That's what you want with an owner. He's not interested in the financial making money. That guy's interested in winning. So that's kind of what I would say about Dan for everybody what, out there. What What's the cause of the frustration from Redskins fans? Well, just a lack of wins, lack of playoff appearances, the yeah. frustrations. And, and we've, you know, every year is a year for hope. And just like this year, we you know you look at the team and you go, well, we drafted this young quarterback. That's going to be exciting through through the uh, mini through mini camp uh, training camp and through the preseason. Um, we've done a great job over the last couple of years drafting for the defense. So you get excitement, you get hope. You go into the season thinking, man, maybe ten wins this year. Maybe right, maybe we might get into those playoffs. Uh, we've had we had some bad luck last year with injuries. Seems like that's been the the issue over the last several years is injuries and staying healthy. Um, and I know that's a challenge for all teams, but you know when you look back, in the last Super Bowl you won was 1991. You you it's frustrating. Yeah. And so um, you know Dan takes a lot of the uh, 
you know, a lot of the abuse from the fans and a lot yeah. of, he takes a lot of responsibility in the media from that. Uh, Bruce Allen as well. I mean, those guys are the ones in charge. And so uh, it's been a bit frustrating. But I've gotten to know Dan, and, yeah. and man, he's a really incredible guy. And like Joe said, he just wants to win. Like, I was the same way as most fans, in my opinion, of Dan until I got to know him and got to be around him. I'd go in there, and I'd, I have not been around him as much as, as Coach has, but I, I would go to the preseason games. That's my favorite time to go. Nobody's there, especially like the third preseason game. You get to see the second, third, fourth string guys out there trying to make the team, really hustling, trying to play football. And Dan's the only one in the owner's box sitting there watching that game. And he is plugged into every single play, every player. I'm watching fourth. I'm watching guys that aren't going to make the team. Right. And he knows their name, what their story is, what they're trying to accomplish, who they're trying to beat, who they're trying to, you know, who they're trying to uproot in the, in, the, in the depth chart. And he's just invested. And he does, he, he's does to a fault, does everything he can in free agency or what have you to try to put players on that team that can win. And uh, – you know, you can't you can't fault a guy for wanting to win so badly. Uh, but he's a, incredibly generous. His, him and his wife do a lot of great things in the community. Yep. And um, well, we you know he's invited you to sit with him during the games uh, to a few games. And you, uh, I was so fortunate one time you took me. It was a oh, Monday yeah. night game against the Cowboys, and nice. I believe you were actually there as well in Dan Snyder's box. And so we got to see Dan Snyder during a game. Yeah. When you say he's passionate, and when you say he's invested. <laughs> Oh my gosh, he is yeah. a fan. I mean, like yeah. he, he yeah. is. Uh, like I don't, I don't recall seeing him sit down. I mean, I, re- I recall him being, you know, I don't know about loud, but just into every yeah. single thing. And and that was also a really emotional game because the Redskins pulled it out Monday night. It was the atmosphere was just bananas. Yeah. And and he was just in the middle of that emotion as well. So well, that, that we saw Dan Snyder in a game. It, well, he's a he's he's the, in a sense the American dream. Like he grew up in D.C. as a fan. Yep. His father took him to games. You know, he made a, he he made a lot of money as a businessman, and and owns the sports team that he's loved his entire life. So he is one, one, he is. one other thing that people don't realize is he for the players uh, during the, some of the hurricanes and all that kind of stuff gave players his plane and said, "Go to your family." Uh, we had a death. Uh, by one of the players' young baby out on the West Coast. He gave his plane to the players and said, go. He, he's got a heart like that. Um, Ronaldo Wynn works with me now in prison ministry and all that. Well, we played a game in Tampa, a playoff game. He broke his forearm, went to the hospital. Dan sent Tanya to the hospital. She stayed there with him overnight and brought him back to the complex. next. I mean – I'm just saying, I, I think, you know, and some of that, a lot of that stories don't, they don't, they get, don't get told. told. And I, I think the other thing, when they first got there, he had, uh, he, he, he got the reputation of going after a star, oh, yeah. you know, and paying money and all that, because he, he wanted to win, he's passionate. And so people kind of hold that against Absolutely. him, too. So anyway, y'all, y'all need to back of, off of him a little bit. I'm now, yeah. I'm now. Hey, man, we, <laughs> I'm a fan, so I want yeah. I hold him accountable. You got We want to win. We want to win championships. But I know he wants to win just as badly. Uh, a little Redskins trivia for you. Uh-oh. Oh, well, you're yeah. oh, wait, wait, you're oh, trying to stump oh the coach? I'm going to stump the coach. Yeah, believe me, go, it won't be hard. I'm going to go, never I'm gonna go easy on you. I'm going to go easy <laughs> on you. Uh, what was the Washington Redskins originally called? Hmm. Wasn't, it, give wasn't you, the Indians or something? No, I'll give, you, I'll give you some hints. Uh, Preston, uh, George Preston Marshall purchased the NFL franchise. Yes, he did. In the city of? 
What, Chicago or Boston. something? Boston. Boston? In 1932. They had a contract to play at Braves Field, home of the National League baseball team, and went by the same name, the Boston Braves. Oh, Boston wow. Boston Braves. Yeah. Mm. They had to play there one year. Uh, he didn't like that. He moved the team uh, to Fenway Park the next year and changed it to just the Redskins. They didn't, have, they didn't like, affiliate with any city. And then in 1937, the NFL proved the team's relocation to Washington, D.C., and they've forever been known the Washington Redskins ever since. They, 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 they talk about the Redskin name. <laughs> Everything in my house is Redskins. I, know. I said, Dan, yeah. if you change the name of that thing, yeah. I'm going to kill you on the spot. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> because, hey, just everybody, you know, we go so – want to be so perfect and yeah. everything. I, I go over here, my, my kids are playing, grandkids are playing, and – uh, I guess one of the football teams down here, down south. I go down there. They're Redskins. Yeah. They're on, they're on the field. The other team was. They're yeah. the Redskins. I got tired. So anyway, of, oh. I got tired of listening to it and reading about it. So I text Dan and said, "Just change the dang name. <laughs> Just change it. No. Warriors, Reds, Washington no. Warriors, whatever." And he's like, he's like, capital never. Oh, and then he started sending me all these stories just like that of all these high schools and colleges all across the country. He's like, he's like, don't, he's like, we're never going to change it. So don't even worry about it. I'm like, I'm just tired of hearing it. Yeah. Hey, coach, before we, I, I know we got so much racing to go, but you, you mentioned something in one of your football stories when you were talking about Joe Jacoby. And you said that you went nuts over something. And I'm having a hard time visualizing what Joe Gibbs going nuts even looks like or what yeah. causes <laughs> Joe Gibbs to go nuts. Give me an idea what nuts in your dictionary I, is. I, I think everybody here, – here's what happens in football. Let's tip you off. So guys that call plays on the sideline, most of the time you're going to find they're very – they're thinking, concentrating. They're not running up down the sideline yelling and screaming and all that because it's like taking a test. You're thinking about the next play and everything. And so I was always, because I did call the plays, I was focused like that. Everybody said I was milk toast. You know, you got no personality. Oh. This guy's got nothing. And uh, which that may be true too. But, <laughs> uh, but, but anyway, I think, you know, if you kind of watch now the coaches that are more, you know, out there yeah. yelling and screaming and up, that chances are they're not calling the plays, you know, and. Bill Walsh, if you watched him, you know, it's it's a test. You're on the sideline. So I think I got that personality from that standpoint. And I think the players, um, they, they would probably tell you stories differently. Obviously, I get wound up. You there know, was an so. article in 1986 in the news uh, about a game you were losing to the Philadelphia Eagles 14-0, <laughs> to went into the locker room and knocked the oranges and cups of water off into the table. <laughs> Is I that right? Clint Didier took are, an orange to the shoulder. Yeah. People, all, people, are, people always remember that, but I, I will say this. I did. I, I was so upset. We, we were going to the playoffs. We'd already wrapped up a playoff deal. So we go up there to play them, and it was still really important. And we were just, I mean, it was pitiful. I mean, we're walking around out there. We weren't hitting anybody. I went to that locker room, and I turned around. It was funny because there was a box of oranges there. <laughs> <laughs> and guys are coming in the door, and I am slinging those arguments. Really? Bars. Oh, yeah, I'm but bouncing off helmets and everything you're else. Ch <laughs> you're chunking it at them? I, I, yeah, at the players. And I, 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 it is that they always, Jacoby and all of them, always bring that up. Yeah. Because it's the one time I did, you know, kind of, 
I, 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 would, I would get upset and everything, but I didn't go that far. And so I, what was really funny, so then you got to make the adjustments. So I went around the room where the assistant coaches were. Veins were sticking out my neck. And I remember Don Bro, who's on our staff, one of the greatest guys. He goes, Joe, you're going to have a heart attack. I couldn't even, I couldn't even draw something on the board. Really? I, I just said, just go. That was the halftime speech. Go, yes. kill, go kill them. And we did. So that was good. Is there anything in this world today that is capable of getting you that angry? No, I, I, yeah, sure. I, I get upset with uh, racing stuff and different, you know, when what's so important about racing, we got sponsors, you got the race team, you got everything you're trying to keep. You got the people that work for us, because I know you feel that same way about the people that work here. We got guys that have spent 20 years with us that built a race. Jimmy Makar has been there 28 years. We got people that spent their entire life, working life, building the race team. It's, that's such a huge responsibility. Every time we get together and they're in the room and I see the people, I go, <sighs> you know, our, our Christmas party and everything. I, oh, my gosh. You know, we yeah. got to make this thing go. So there's huge responsibilities there. So when things get something that would set, uh, set you off, I get upset. Last, last question of Redskins trivia. This yep. guy became the NFL's all-time leading pass receiver on October 12, 1992. Well, I could take a guess at that. Right. Art Monk or Art Monk? Yeah. 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 So Art Monk was my favorite player. Yeah. What was uh, What was so good about Art Monk? Art Monk, okay, was like uh, E.F. Hutton, you know, that commercial. <laughs> Would not talk. Wouldn't yeah. talk that much. Very quiet. Um, didn't talk to the press that much or anything. Mm-hmm. But when we had those captains meetings and he did speak, everybody went. They would listen. Yeah. He oh. he he was the consummate pro. I mean, really well trained. That guy, he could run backwards on a treadmill as fast as most guys <laughs> would run short. And, and, and was big and big. And as a consequence, you know what held him up? I felt bad about getting into the Pro Bowl. He should have been in quicker than what he did. But we, with our three receivers, we would still use the inside receiver, even though they were smaller guys. We would block on the edge sometimes because we never want. We always wanted to be able to be in trips to keep people from blitzing us, you know, and forcing you to throw a break off. You <laughs> want to be able to block them. Yeah. We put our receiver in motion. Well, Art Monk was that guy a lot because he's bigger, and so he cut. He a lot of the routes he caught were inside routes where that's not as deep. You don't get as many yards per catch. Yeah. So I kept trying to tell people, I said, this guy sacrificed for the team. And when you put him outside, he could run now. This guy could run. He was big. and One of the things I so, loved about him is when you needed a first down, you got it every yeah. time. I mean, he was just yeah. dependable, automatic. Shoot. Wait, yeah. wait. I got another Redskins question. Yeah. I mean, humor me and tell me a Riggin story. I got so many Riggin stories. Uh, give, give me your best. Most of, My best one's a long one. I don't know if we got time for that. Yeah, we got all day. Okay, here, here's the deal. <laughs> hey, we don't have Michigan to get all to. Right, okay. <laughs> all right, okay. So I get the job in 81, okay? So everybody came right to me, and they said, you need to get John Riggins back here. Big fullback, you know, he set out in a contract a few the year before. And so the second week after I got the job, without saying anything to anybody, I got me a flight to Lawrence, Kansas. And so I land over there. I go down the very first, got me a rental car, and I go to the very first gas station. Can you tell me where John Riggins lives? Everybody knows where John Riggins lives. Big all-American in Kansas and everything. Here I go out, down a dirt road, pull up in the back of this farmhouse, knocked on the door. Right away I knew I had a chance to get John Riggins to come back because Mary Lou's wife answered the door. 
Her hair's up in rollers. The kids are running through the house, and she told me she wanted to come back. The only way you get a football player to do something is find him or get his wife to come. So I said, Mary Lee, you got to get me an appointment with John Riggins in the morning. And so I go back to the motel, got up the next morning, little red lights on. You got breakfast at 10 o'clock. I'm putting on my best stuff. I'm thinking about sales. I'm going to sell this guy. You know what I mean? I'm coming back and playing. Out down this dirt road, pull up back of the farmhouse. The first time I laid my eyes on John Riggins, he's walking across the courtyard there with a buddy. They both had camouflaged outfit on. They'd been hunting that morning. And he had a beer can in both hands. I said, well, I can tell he's impressed with me. (laughs) So I started in with the light stuff and trying to make nothing. I'm getting nothing. We go in for breakfast. It was like this. He was over there. I was here. Mary Lou's serving breakfast. And so... I'm getting nothing, so I, I just said, I'm going to start my sales pitch. I'm going to go in for this. I said, John, new coach, okay, new offense. I'm going to put you in the backfield. I'll give you the ball every down. I'll never ask you to block. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a salesman. You don't expect right. me to tell him the truth, right, do you? Right, so I'm going, <laughs> still, right. I'm going as hard as I can go. Nothing. All of a sudden, about five minutes into this thing, he leaned across the table, and the first meaningful thing he ever said to me, he goes, you need to get me back there. I'll make you famous. Mm. And I went, oh, my gosh. He's an egomaniac. This guy's a nutcase. I'm going to get stuck coaching a fruitcake for 10 years. And so I'm thinking <laughs> to myself, how do I get out of this? How yeah. do I get out of this? And I went, honestly, I did. I went, I'll trade him. He's an egomaniac. You didn't want I'm not going to coach this guy. He's crazy. I said, I'll get a first-round draft, Joe. This is perfect. I finished the sales pitch, got in the car, went back to Washington, D.C. Two days later, I get a call from John. He goes, Coach, he said, uh, made up my mind, I'm going to play next year. And I went, yes. First round. Get him back. (laughs) Trade him for a first. This is perfect. And he said, the only thing I won't put in my contract is a no-trade clause. (laughs) (laughs) And I tell everybody this day, I said, somebody was looking out for me because that man – was not an egomaniac. He was very smart. He was a great team guy. And if you wanted to play a big game, you, you want John Riggins on your team because that man that man play big in a big game. <laughs> That's awesome. I, you know, when, as he's telling that story, it makes me want to ask almost about the time that they were trying to recruit you to go to Joe Gibbs Racing. After you had uh, announced in 2007 you were leaving DEI, do you, uh, you know, Dale Jr. was talking to everybody that wanted to talk to him. Do you recall? Do, I, do I recall? Oh, you recall. Yeah. So, so I'm, we, I'm hocked, not... we hocked the entire place, <laughs> put it all together, took, it, took him to see Dan Snyder and the Redskins, and I, I said, man, we got to have a chance at this guy. And uh, So he, now he, that he, we yeah. know that Coach Gibbs has these other conversations going <laughs> on in his it. mind, I'm wondering what those conversations were when you were sitting across from Dale because – I don't know. I mean, you you wouldn't disagree with this. You have a way of underwhelming the situation, uh, usually. I mean, like, 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 what do you mean? (laughs) (laughs) You know, Rick Hendrick tells a funny story about how he went through all that, uh, you know, the sales pitch, and he, you know, gave you this, you know, uh, number that he was thinking, and you left it right there on the desk. And he goes, I guess that didn't work. Well, the meeting I had with Joe is the reason why that's how, why the the meeting with, with Rick went that way. Yeah. Um, I, I have met with two people. I met with Joe and I met with Rick. And I happened to meet with Joe first. And as far as I can remember, uh, you said, why don't you come out to Washington? We'll meet at Dan's house. Yep. 
And I'm thinking, that's awesome. Uh, I don't think I'd ever met Dan before. And so we go out there, and I remember when we got there, we went to the back. We went in his backyard, and we're sitting around this table, and they had these um, tomatoes, stuffed tomatoes with pimento cheese in them, and they were amazing. <laughs> and I couldn't stop eating them. <laughs> and I couldn't pay attention to what Joe and them were saying because I was wanting to eat more tomatoes. <laughs> so wait, I'm trying, to give, I'm trying to give him millions of dollars, and he's eating tomatoes. Yeah. <laughs> I ended up, instead of walking away for the contract, I walked away with a recipe for the (laughs) stuffed tomatoes. See, you you had, see again, that's that's my point, is that you spend all this time preparing your recruit. That's right. And your your recruiting pitch, and then it's things like tomatoes that he walks away with. I agree. I agree. Ruin the deal. I agree. I want to let Joe tell his side of it, but we we ended up, me, so we're we're talking for a while. He gave us a, a sheet of paper with terms on it. I'd never been in any kind of negotiations before. I'd never negotiated with Dad and Teresa. They just said, here, this is what you're getting paid, and you're going to, that's the way it is. And so me and Kelly are in Washington. We get this term sheet. We go into this private room. Joe and them said, go take a minute and talk about it. We go in there, and I went in there, and I said said to Kelly, I said, what's on that paper? What's the number? And she told me, and I said, we got to get out of (laughs) here. I was like, this, this is, this is way bigger than I ever even imagined. Like the, this was it made my head explode, yeah. and I said, uh, "I said we, you know, I I can't even I can't decide this today. We got to go home and talk about this." And I needed to. I was my reaction was to run in the other direction. It's crazy, I know, yeah, but it's crazy. Well, it was all so <laughs> big. You got to remember, like when I was racing at DEI, everything was so small. Yeah, and uh, and that's just I, that was fine. You know, that was the that's way it was. Knew. I didn't know any better. Um, but all of a sudden, it was just way too much coming at me. I'm, st- I'm, at, I'm, at Joe, I'm with Joe Gibbs, my hero. We're at the owner of the Redskins' house. They're wanting to pay me all, a lot of money, and uh, I just needed to step back and get a bigger view of it. So we walk out of the room, and Kelly's like, that's, that's, yeah, of course, we're going to calm down. We're going to go home. We're going to talk about this. We still got to go meet with Rick. I said, yeah, yeah, we got to do that. We got to do that. I just want to, we just got to get home and talk about this. This is crazy. I can't believe this. So I try to put pull it all together and because we're going to go back in there and say, Joe, hey, we're going to thank you. This has been amazing. We're going to go home. This is awesome. We're going to talk about this. And so Dan looks at me and goes, what? You ain't signing it? Because he's so <laughs> – I think Dan's so used to, like, players walk yeah. in the room. Here's the contract. They sign it and they leave. I was like, no, nah, Mr. Snyder, we're going to go home, have a conversation, and sort this out and go through this. We've got a lot to talk about. And he start, He is in the business, and correct me if I'm wrong, Joe, but he's in the business of taking other smaller failing businesses or older businesses and revitalizing them. And he was in the middle of doing this with some restaurant chain and started offering yeah. me percentages of this company. And he's like, yep, it's not worth a lot now, but... Down the road, you know, it's going to be worth X amount of dollars. Johnny Rockets. Right. Oh, yeah. I thought it was Johnny Rockets. And he's, like, trying to tag that on to the agreement. And I'm like, man, I, you know, that's awesome. I appreciate it. And I'm like, God, I'm, I'm spinning my tires <laughs> backwards as fast as I can to get out of that building. And, 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 and it just was so overwhelming. I was – it was like uh, winning the lottery. You know, it, it, you freak out. Yeah, but – most yeah. people take the money still. Uh, <laughs> well, I, I, they don't I, turn I, down the money. And so I, that shows you what kind of guy Dan was. Well, Dan, 
I, I had not talked to Dan at all about doing anything like that. Yeah. But when you walked out and didn't take what we gave him, which we thought was a heck of a deal, Dan just started in. He was yeah. go, he was going to get Oh, you didn't <laughs> know he was going to offer all that. No, he was going to get Junior to sign that thing before he left. He yeah. was going to do that for me. And uh, I just appreciate uh, that so much. He, 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 he would have probably – Throwing a chunk of the Redskins at him if he had asked that was for the, it, so. I was talking to these guys yesterday about it. I said if Dan had offered one percent of the skins, then he would have had a deal right then and there. Oh, but boy. I went to that's easy to say today. But when I went to Rick's to sit down with him, maybe a week or two later, he slid that paper across the table and I slid it back. I said I don't even want to look at it. I wasn't there with Kelly. She wasn't there. Yeah. I was by myself. I said. I don't even want to see this number. The last time I saw any number like that, it destroyed me for about a week. I said, you and Kelly figure it out. I said, you know, I want my side skirts painted. Yeah, um, right. If you would have just said you have full authority to paint the side skirts whatever you yeah, want, you'd have had him. If I'd let him design the car or draw a hot rod up there, I probably could have had a chance. So, yeah. so uh, he, he, no, Rick, Rick, I understand that with Rick. He had, he had loyalty to him and he... Uh, Rick helped me get in the sport, right. and so, you know, I understand all that. But we, it was a big disappointment for us. We made a full-bore run, I'll say that. Yeah. We gave, we gave it our it all. It turned out all right for you yeah. guys. Did you guys think that Hendrick Motorsports was going to be the place he'd end up, though? I mean, like, a lot of people, yeah, if I, I remember I, this, people would have assumed two places, Joe Gibbs Racing and RCR. RCR, yeah. Yeah. I, I guess at that point I was probably a little bit – I knew when he got focused on Rick that 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 was the other choice. That's probably where he'd go because of loyalty okay. and everything, that uh, the background and all that. I we had a lot going for ourselves, but we didn't have that where he kind of grew up with knowing Rick and everything. Right. So, man, it was an amazing day for me. I still think about it uh, just to even have that opportunity to go there and 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 sit down with you guys. Let's take a quick break from the Joe Gibbs interview. Why? Because I have a question for you. Ever wonder where your family comes from? More than you'd know. You can discover more about them and learn about your story as well, like I have, by combining the Ancestry DNA test with billions of historic family records. You can even trace your ancestors' journey over time following how and why your family moved from place to place. Ancestry's unique features and record collections can give a more complete picture of people from your past, like the events that shaped them and how they made a living, even how they, how long they attended school. And to amplify your results, you can start a free trial on Ancestry and build a tree so that your ancestors become more than just a name. It's so easy to get started. I have uh, mailed in my Ancestry DNA kit. Oh. I built my tree, I don't know, man, it's been 10 years, it seems like. I mean, no, 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 uh, no joke on that. I've been working on my tree forever. And I've had a Ancestry account forever, and I'm, I was just working on it the other day. You get hints all the time that are coming in. That's right. Uh, and sort of kind of your, your tree's always sort of um, getting more robust and more information about in each individual person. And uh, so now I got this DNA kit. It's in the mail. It's activated. I'm waiting on the, the kit to get to them, them to start to, to figure that thing out. It's going to take a little while. It's like six weeks or so before you get the information back. But once I pair that DNA kit with the tree, it's really going to give it this three-dimensional feel. Sure. And help me. You know, it's just going to be more interesting, more more in-depth. Uh, so I'm excited about those results, having having the tree and the information from that and now the DNA kit itself to sort of verify and back up a lot of that, you know, a lot of those Heck yeah. uh, notes and a lot of the factual 
information that I've got in the tree. The DNA kit will sort of sort of you know solidify all that. With this special, I think I'm going to try it. Well, you should. Everybody should. Uh, for a limited time now, through June 13th, go to ancestry.com/slash/dellejr today, and you can get your DNA kit. For $69. That's Ancestry.com slash Dale Jr. for $69. This does not mean that Greg Biffle's the next guest on the ah. download. Ancestry.com slash Dale Jr. <laughs> you once owned a drag racing team, yep. NHRA. Six yep. seasons, over 30 wins. Uh, successful. Uh, yep. Why did y'all give that up? I told him, I said, I think we hold the record for blowing up the most stuff. <laughs> 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 we we uh, we kept it in Indy. That was my love, really, when I grew up right. in Southern California. It was drag racing. I had a I started off with hot rods, and then I had a I had a gas coupe. It's drag racing, and I had a gas dragster, and then I had a top field dragster. Thank goodness I blew the thing up before. And then I got my first coaching job. But that was kind of you know my first love. And so when we started the NASCAR team, obviously. Uh, you know, we got started with that, and then about after about three years, we started the drag racing team. And it was an Indian, everything. I loved it. Um, I think really what happened is, you know, it's not-for-profit the way they run things over there. And in those days, it wasn't very well run, really. And so all of our sponsors that were in, in it with us was Norm Miller Interstate Batteries and McDonald's and all that. They eventually wanted to go back to NASCAR ah. because there was bigger crowd, bigger attention, bigger everything. Did you race ever? Uh, the, the only thing, I, I did a little drag racing. Right. Okay, that's about How'd all. How'd that go? Yeah. yeah. It was fun. I loved it. If I'd had a choice, probably growing so up. Made, so my, my, our listeners are probably imagining, like, what kind of car? Well, I had a dream in drag racing. I sometimes look up uh, Gary Gablich, uh, and uh, I used to hang out up at the one of the guys that had a big drag racing deal uh used to hang up at their house gary gabbley's drove their car and he by the way he set the land speed record at one point it's 680 miles an hour or something and uh so i hung up at their place and they helped me the sandoval brothers helped me build my top fuel car and so i would have had if i had a choice i would have said i probably would drive a top fuel car and be in drag racing that that was going to be my dream and How old, like when you were a teenager? Or? Yeah, I was like yeah. 22, 23, Golly. and um, I, I used to work, I worked night shift in the off season uh, out of school and put all the money in cars and drag racing. Well, wait, and well, so, wow. Making money how? Because this would have been about the time you were a, a grad assistant, right? Uh, no, 22? well, it was actually before that, and okay. I would work in the summers, and then whatever I got, I was just pouring into... Hot rods and stuff. <laughs> That's and crazy. Uh, in those days, you know, it wasn't like today. You know, I mean, a thousand bucks, you could buy a lot of stuff. Yeah. And so, any, anyway, it was it was a fun time for me. I honestly think I grew up in the greatest time. Southern California, hot rods, our cars all had names on them, nicknames. And it was high school sweethearts. And it was just, the music was awesome, the mm-hmm. 50s music. Everything was great. And uh, I enjoyed that life so much and then playing football and so it was like a dream world we talked about me and you uh talking uh, getting together about driving for you at one point is there any other drivers uh that we don't know about or some some drivers that you might you tried to hire at some point in your career your team's been around since the early 90s yeah i remember i remember i first came down here the question was okay 
you know, you got a football coach trying to come <laughs> in races. So a lot of guys are kind of going, hey, this guy's a nutcase. But uh, uh, I remember Elliot. I went to Bill Elliot because everybody thought that would be a dream deal. You yeah. were going with Elliot. And I remember the discussion I had with him. <laughs> it was really funny for me because he said, his question to me, he goes, how much money you got in sponsorship? That was his question. You know the reason? And I told him, because that was with Interstate Batteries and Norm, I thought I had plenty of money. And he goes, mm-mm, that ain't going to make it. <laughs> and so right away, I think I spooked him off on that. But, I, you know, we were interviewing. The, the great thing was Dale Jarrett was willing to take a chance to come right. with us. But, but the bigger, probably a, a huge deal as a part of that was Jimmy Maycar. Jimmy Maycar was at Penske. Right. They'd already won a championship, and this guy was a crew chief and killing it. What's he going to do going with a football coach? Mm -hmm. And so after we got Dale to agree, and Dale had not won a race at that point, two weeks later he won at Michigan. Michigan. Mm -hmm. Got it. Man's got it. Yeah. Um, but he hadn't won a race. Dale said, let's go talk to my brother-in-law. Jimmy Makar, I said, we got, I, honestly, I said, we got no chance on that. What are you doing? I said, but I'll go with you. And we sat down and talked to Jimmy, and Jimmy, for some reason, said, hey, I'd love to build something from scratch. Is really what we were talking about doing. And I, got, I owe a lot to those guys because they got us started. J.D. obviously um, came on board. That's a great story because J.D. had just graduated from college. He had two buddies, okay, and um, Dave Alpern and Todd Meredith, same age, all graduated at the same time, buddies, and all the way through school. They all came down to the race team. And honestly, they were just wandering around. Jimmy Wakar was trying to find places to put them, get them out of the way. <laughs> and they fooled around with this or that, and they'd go kart racing and stuff. And that's how they started. And it was crazy what happened because J.D. wound up being president of the company, ran the whole thing for years and built, helped build it. Dave Alpern's our president today after J.D. got sick. But he started off in licensed product, and that, that was his world. And then Todd Meredith was operations. And it was crazy the way it all worked. And mm -hmm. they, they built the race team, you know. And then uh, so the way that all started was kind of a – miracle thing but we had 17 people we're over in harris boulevard and well i mean if that was a miracle thing what was the game plan for you then uh, like what how how did you think that was gonna what go? i thought was gonna happen i would continue to coach jd would run the race team went along with jimmy with, with Maycar, and i would continue to coach i went one more year and what had happened is coy was playing at stanford and in order for me to see coy play you know, I needed to get out of football. I'd missed J.D., a lot of his high, uh, college playing. He was at William & Mary. And I felt like I didn't want to do that again. Mm. And so I'm, I would go West Coast because most of Stanford games was West Coast. I'd red-eye back to the races. And I felt like you know, I did that for a year. And I said, hey, look, now is probably the time for me to step out. And I could really spend time with Coy watch him play, mm -hmm. and then help with the race team. And uh, so anyway, that's kind of how the whole thing started. I want to fast forward a little bit to uh, some some uh, more current events. And uh, during the 2010-2011 season was a difficult one for you guys with Kyle. Uh, he was going crazy, uh, flipping off officials on pit road and wrecking Ron Hornaday and so forth. 
Uh, really? Was, really? Yeah, Kyle? There was a lot of yeah. crazy stuff going he on. He wasn't throwing Kyle. oranges at people, he but he was throwing oranges at people. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, how close were you guys to having to make any kind of major change or decision with Kyle at that point? No, I, I think it was just um, – I don't know what's the right way of putting it. it, it just Kyle has such a passion for everything. And then we got started with that when he wrecked Hornaday and everything. It was a huge deal. And so I think it was something we just fought through. Yeah. I think we were all committed to getting through it. The question is, I think what would have changed things had our sponsor said, we're done. And – we were able to work our way through that, and yeah. to be quite truthful, uh, Norm Miller stepped in the gap some with Interstate Batteries to help us. Norm's always really liked and got along great with uh, with Kyle. He, they've been kind of buddies. and But I, I think our sponsor, the fact that Mars was willing to stay with us and said, okay, we're going to work our way through this. Here's the things you're, you know, they, they were, uh, obviously, you, you get, they were upset about things, but uh, we were able to work through that. And I really appreciate that because today the relationship that Kyle has with them and the family and Mars and M&Ms and everything, they, and, and I think Kyle has really grown to appreciate that too yeah. because here, here's the thing that's different. I, I talk to the young drivers, and I, I tell them, I said, what does Denny have? He has FedEx. Worked real hard at that. It's 11 years. I says, what's, what's Martin have? He's got a relationship with Johnny Morris. Huge deal. You know, and auto owners. Long term. Okay. What's, what's, what's Kyle got? He's got Mars. Listen, if you're in this sport, wake up, get going. You need to make sure that you keep your sponsor happy. Go after them. Text them. All the things that it takes. Yeah. And sometimes the young guys... You know, they're, they're, hey, I'm driving a race car. That's it. This sport is different in that you got to have a great sponsor. Well, I was about to ask you, what's the secret in keeping sponsors happy? You seem to do it better than anybody. Now, listen, I, I love that aspect of it because here's what, you, here's what is different also about our sport. It, it, let's say that M&M's is going to sponsor the Redskins. They're not going to be the, the M&M Redskins, and I don't care what you say. <laughs> you can put as much money over there as you want, but you ain't getting it. Yeah. Okay, but in our sport – it is the M&M's 18 car and Kyle Busch. And they're in the sport. It's three and a half hours in the, on the car. This afternoon, they're going to be three and a half hours on it. They're in the sport. They're such a key part of it. They're a partner. And when we win, man, I'm calling those guys from the winner's circle because they're a big part of our sport. And let me say this. I love that aspect of our sport. I love that. you got to work your rear off, and you got to have people that go with you. And the fact that we won that first Daytona 500, Norm Miller, I, that was one of the greatest days of my life in sports. He had, he had a huge Dale Jarrett T-shirt. I still remember we were laughing. It had his face on the front of the T-shirt. And my Coy and J.D. are rolling in the infield on the grass. We didn't even know where a winner's circle was. We're wandering around <laughs> like a bunch of you know what I mean? That, that, those kind of stories. But Norm... Our last contract we just signed with Norm will take us through 30 years. Wow. Norm's been with us for 30 years. Wow. And, and the sponsorship part of it, I love that. And it's trying to keep them, you know, you, you want them to have value in this. So the great thing our sports got going for itself, we got 38 weekends. Okay, so that's social and digital, you know, uh, you know what everybody wants, content. We got it. Okay, yes, there's a crowd and all that, but then it's B2B, 
All of our companies working together. It's social and digital, show car program, everybody. It's got to be a huge, you got to put it all together so that a company says, we're getting value for this. All right. And so I love that aspect of it. It is different in our sport, yet it's one that I got some of the best relationships in the the world with the sponsors. And the fact that it does require so much of of a commitment from a sponsor, you wind up talking to the top people in the company. So I talked to Fred Smith. He just spoke at our summit. You know, the head of FedEx. You know, who who would think I'd ever get to talk to the head of FedEx? You know what I mean? And so I think all those things about our sport is, I love that. Our fan base is just the most dedicated fan base in the world. I mean, we got fan day at Joe Gibbs Racing. There's guys stay overnight. Yeah. I take them donuts in the morning. You know what I mean? <laughs> they're still out there. All they're going to get is autographs. How, where's that happen? Yeah. And so anyway, I love, I love the family atmosphere of NASCAR and everything we get to do as a group. So. Joe Logano won a championship last year. He was a driver for you at one point. Um, yeah. You guys, you have any, you have any personal regrets on missing out on his growth <laughs> and maturity? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, we'd love to win that championship with him. I think it's those are the things that uh, the things about sports, particularly this sport, you're going to make a lot of decisions. Okay, some are good, right? So, but I, I think what had happened to us there is we 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 went four years, you know, with yeah. Joey. And so that was a long time, and we just felt like you know, at that point that Matt was, might be a good fit for us. And so we made that change. And, then, of course, yeah, you always look at that and say, hey, people always say, you know, Joe's a moron for, for me making that decision. But all of us kind of make them over there. We all kind of work together real hard at, uh, uh, at our race team. And so, anyway, you kind of make decisions like that. But that's that's the fun thing about sports. Yeah. You don't know what's going to happen. Mm. How shocking was Carl Edwards' sudden retirement? For I guys? was completely – I would have to say that conversation might have been my top five as far as shocks for me in life. Really? Yeah. I th- They said, hey, Carl's outside. It was after the season. And I figured he was going to come in and wish me a happy off season and a, you know, a good Christmas. And he comes in and sits down, and he goes, Joe, he says, I think I made up my mind. I'm going I'm to I'm step out of racing. I went, what? I, I was sitting there, and I go, you do realize that every young guy your age wants to drive a race car and make a ton of money? Are you sure, are you sure you're doing the right thing? And uh, never really ever got to the – he would not – he says, I'm not going to share with you. I'm not going to share with anybody. The real bottom lines, but yeah. I think with his wife and him and the kids, I will say this right now: I feel good about it from a standpoint. We still talk every now and then. I caught last time I called him; he's on his boat in the Bahamas. I said, "Well, you're doing pretty good." <laughs> <laughs> so, with Christopher uh, Bell's successes in Xfinity and his move to Cup on the horizon, uh, what are the current objectives for you as the owner to make all those pieces fit? I mean, it's a great problem to have. Yeah. Uh, so many talented guys. And and also, I guess, how much influence does Toyota have over those decisions? You yeah. want to move Christopher up, you got four cars. you got four great drivers in those cars. Yeah. So how do you make that work? It's it, That's one of the challenges you got, particularly in bringing along young guys. And it's happened to us before. And, uh, man, you get caught up in that, what's the right decision. And, and there are options there. We're kind of considering everything. And... Uh, you're trying to work your way through them. And, of course, what we just talked about, sponsor. How's the sponsor fit on all that? You know, it, it gets to be 
really yeah. complicated. You brought up Toyota. The great thing about Toyota, honestly, we don't go, we don't make any decision. We're constantly talking back and forth, you know, and uh, uh, I, I think that we have a great partnership with them. They're heavily invested in the sport. Love it. They're also a technical company. They love the technical aspects of things. They seem to be uh, extremely involved in that driver's career from the beginning. You look at the yeah. truck series yeah. with Kyle and, and, and how Toyota uses that team and, and plants drivers in those cars sort of yeah. their grooming, which, and that's yeah. what they've done with Christopher. So I would assume they have a pretty heavy influence over uh, Christopher's future. Yeah, it, but it's, real, it's a real partnership from the standpoint we are – we're the ones that have to get the sponsors and so the race team is hard after it and then we've got but they they're always so good um we just work together on everything it's common sense really and some yeah. of these problems are really if you remember back where we took eric and we wound up he wound up going to 77 mm-hmm. you know uh over at um over or front row over there with everything that happened there those are tough things to go through and work through, but that's a, that's the challenge of our sport too. You yeah. know, we, we can you can say what you want. You're not going anywhere unless you got great drivers. Let's face it. I've learned that, yep. and so you know we want to have great guys in the cars, yeah. and they make you look good. And so, uh, but it is a challenge, and you got young talent coming out there. And so it's a great problem to have. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. Going in the Hall of Fame. You're also going in the Hall of Fame, the NASCAR Hall of Fame, with your drivers, Tony Stewart and Bobby Labonte. How? I mean, that's got to be. That's got to be. Not only. I mean, imagine getting an opportunity to go in the Hall of Fame. Right. That's got to be cool. Right. And he's going to go in there with your buddies. By the way. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I I think it's probably his third, fourth, fifth Hall of Fame. Yeah. You've probably been in a (laughs) racquetball Hall of Fame Fame somewhere. No. But what's that (laughs) going to be like to share that experience with two drivers you won championships with? You 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 bled, you cried, you sweat, you did all that with those guys. You lived racing with Bobby and 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 Tony. A million stories of both those guys, and they were a key part of building our race team. You know, when you get a great driver like that, in those days it was you only had one car, two cars, and you're building stuff. And so for them to come gamble and their careers and come with you, and there's all kinds of stories. I still remember Bobby when it was looked like Dale was leaving. So now we all kind of settled on Bobby, and he's driving uh, uh, the coffee yeah. car. What was yeah, Maxwell. And so anyway, I'm in a garage area, and I remember I remember going like this. I went. I pointed at him like that, and I went. And he goes, he turns around, he looks to see who I was talking to. You know, he's looking over his shoulder going, who's who's he talking to? And I went, no, you. I want to call you. And so uh, we get but we get Bobby, and then, uh, and then of course, Tony coming on board. That, that was I, – I could write a book on Tony. Oh, about, yeah. oh everybody. About the yeah. original – a lot of people know the background, a lot of things, but originally – Getting him and chasing him down, okay, and all the things he had to do, the flights I took to go get him and talk to him and try and convince him and all that kind of stuff. And uh, so that was a, quite an experience. And to get him on board, I will say this that a lot of people don't realize this, but they were where he was before, they were wanting to put him in a cup car. Mm-hmm. And what he said was, I'm not ready for a cup car. Mm. And so when he came to us and we fi- finally worked out the deal, Okay, he said to me, he goes, I'm not ready for a cup car. I'm not going to embarrass myself. He said, I want to run Xfinity, okay, for a year. Now, that take, 
you know, a lot of guys, you know, would say, nah, put me in a cup car. Oh, no. and all that. We put him in the Xfinity. I don't know if you remember this or not. He didn't win a race, and that man not only would wreck once, he'd wreck three times <laughs> in, in an Xfinity. <laughs> And it, we'd come in and fix it and go back out and wreck again. But but anyway, we got through that year. And then the second year, you know, he stepped into the cup car and just took right off. So, I mean, but, he was in Xfinity the same year you were, yeah. right? Okay. So this would have been 98, 99. Yeah. yeah, but it, we, we didn't win a race. But you could see. He ran great. Yeah. You I could, remember. You could, you could see on some of yeah. those races where, you know, he, he was. Yeah. So um, you spent a lot of time uh, helping others. You, you co-authored uh, the book game plan for life you also have a website of the same name offering tips and stories on health and fitness relationship career life purpose you founded youth for tomorrow an organization in virginia focused on offering aid to troubled teens what what's your motivation to helping others i mean you you got enough on your plate you're busy yeah. Uh, what, how do you find the time and what's your motivation to make such a difference in other people's lives? I think once you give your life to Christ, you kind of realize then, and when you're studying his word, that it says very explicitly in there, someday we're going to stand before him. And the only thing that's going to be at our feet is what we've done for him. Now, I've been blessed. I, I'm realized, you know, um, average person, most people in life never get one dream. Uh, occupationally I've had two football racing and small family business but I, I think also uh, <laughs> what what is going to be the most important things that we're going to leave on this earth and uh, thought a lot about that and really if you stop and think what's the most important thing for me and Pat is going to be our kids our grandkids and the influence we've had on others it's not going to be the races one and football it's going to be, you know, I, I use it as an example. I had a little spiritual father in Fayetteville, Arkansas. <clears throat> when I was coaching there, took me under his wing. A little Sunday school teacher just wrote me notes, prayed for me, talked to me. Never played a sport in his life, I don't think. And George had been gone about 20 years, and I had a meeting with the business guy in my office, and he goes, hey, wasn't, wasn't George Darrell your spiritual father? And I says, yeah, he was. And he says, well, Coach Moore at Appalachian State said he was his spiritual father. Mm -hmm. So if you think about that, what was left from George? Not his house, not his money, not his occupation. It was what's left in me and what was left in Coach Moore. And so I think the influence on others, um, I, I, I think that is, you know, what we're going to leave on this earth. And, you know, so I, I, the youth home was a kind of a wild thing. Shows you how God can work. Oh, I didn't do that but here here's i sat down with four guys at breakfast and i was working with inner city kids as they were going through the prison system felt like that was somebody i could relate to um and so until my kids got to be teenagers then i realized i didn't relate to them but um you know so i, I was working with that group and sat down at breakfast one morning i said we ought to build a youth home <laughs> I always have these big ideas that I'm not going to do it, but I'll have big ideas. And it was a guy in there by the name of Don Meredith, not the football Don Meredith, but Don was sitting there, and I said, why don't we do that? And we got, a little, we got together and had a banquet, raised a little bit of money, and I went and set it down in front of a guy that had a big construction company in D.C., and he goes, we're doing this. And... Today we got a youth home. That thing today has 120 kids on campus. We have um, inner city kids, sex traffic girls, mommy and me program, counseling, 
a Hispanic program. We have 120 kids on campus, and we're counseling 1,500. That thing took off. And then I, when I came out of football, I felt like that, you know, a lot of people would say to me, hey, hey, look, you know, I, I try and relate to people with the Bible. They're going to, if, if they're going to say anything about the Bible or, you know, question it, it would be in one of three areas. Hey, Joe, that thing is written 2,000 years ago. I'm interested in modern day life. Or they'd say, hey, Joe, that thing has strange language. You know, it's hard for me to understand. Or I'm interested in specific things to help me live today. Where's that in the Bible? And so we did a research. It came back 11 things. I wrote the book. I got 11 experts that spent their life studying about those topics. Finances, health, all those things are in there. And my story weaves through there. And so then I started speaking. And then a crazy thing happened. I had this guy came to me and said, hey, Joe, I gave my life to Christ in one of your very first speeches. And he says, I just want you to know I'm in a, I, I decided that God wanted me to teach in prison. Mm-hmm. He took our, our prison. This guy had never taught anything in his life. He says, God impressed upon me. So he started going up to Salisbury Prison. And from that, we took a program that was in Louisiana where they take lifers, guys that are not getting out, work with the seminary, take them through a four-year study. They get their pastor credential and then transfer them through the state, and they work in different prisons. We're doing that here with Southeast, and it is unbelievable that that could happen. God can do crazy things. And so we got our second class, our sophomore class, is going through it right now. So it's really, I think those are the kind of things that can be here, you know what I mean? And it's, you know, really, that's the question for all of us. What are we going to leave on this earth? I I know for me it's going to be with J.D. and him getting sick and now the fact that he's going to be with the Lord from that. That made a huge impression upon me, too. Coy and I, Coy moved over. Coy wanted to work in motocross and do other things, but Coy, after his brother got sick, came over. He's working with me in NASCAR. And for our family, you know, it's a huge deal. Coy's so important over there. Um, but with JD, when JD went to be with the Lord, I think about his life. I have a stack on my desk of literally hundreds of people that have written me notes about what JD did for him. Little girl wrote me a note and said, I have a tough time walking. JD saw me in the lobby and took me on a one hour tour of the race shop down below. Um, he wound up in hospice for two days. And when I was up there with him and when he was sick, and the people came to me and said, you do realize J.D., when he was healthy, used to come through here and talk to all the patients. There's so many things about J.D.'s life that he, I really think he, what impressed me about him after he's gone is I need to be more like J.D. He reached out and touched people. And I would like to tell that little story if I can, if I got a minute, of course. about what happened there with J.D. in the Daytona 500. Absolutely. So for, foot, for, for racing fans, I think everybody would appreciate this. So J.D.'s running the race team, and he went to buy some late model stuff up in Manassas, Virginia. And the, the driver up there was a kid named Denny Hamlin. So J.D. goes up, and he said, hey, Denny, um, I'm, we bought the equipment. His parents had about given up racing because it was so expensive. And he said, hey, Denny, said, I think I can get you in a test. In those days for Chevrolet, they would do tests. 
And so eight kids show up for the test. Then he killed everybody. J.D. said to me, he said, hey, Dad, said, I think we need to put him in a truck. Let's see what he'd do in a truck. He finished 11th. The truck wasn't very good. J.D. said, let's put him at Darlington in an Xfinity car. <laughs> we'll find out what this kid's made of. And he finished 8th. <laughs> and J.D. says, I think we need to sign this guy. And I said, go for it. Let's sign him. Signed Denny Hamlin. Denny's number was 11. J.D.'s number in high school when he played quarterback was 11. Okay, so that starts the story. And so when J.D. got sick, it was a five-year struggle for him, and the way he handled everything was the way he handled everything else in life. And so when J.D. went to be with the Lord, it was January 11th. Okay, so the next big event's a Daytona 500. We started getting ready for that, and the racetrack said that we want to honor J.D. What lap should we honor him on? And we said the 11th lap. So everybody stood up on the, the banner and wall. Think about this. Denny had not won a race the year before. You're, you're racing the Daytona 500. You know how hard it is to win that thing. And so that race starts. Now, the other thing that, that Denny had done is put J.D.'s name over the door with him, J.D., Denny. That race starts. It comes down to the end of that race. It was, a, it was kind of a miracle thing. A lot of people would say, well, that just happened. That didn't just happen. I think God was a part of that weekend mm. overseeing that. And Denny wins the race with those restarts and everything at the end. Kyle was second. Eric was third. It's only the second time that's ever happened in sport. And I think a lot of people saw that and realized God was a part of that. And J.D.'s legacy today he has a website uh, that we, when we did his service, that service was a testimony to the Lord. J.D.'s four boys got up and read from his daily log. I have a lot of people that went to that website that told me it's life-changing for them. That website is jdgibbslegacy.com. There's over 3 million people now have gone to the website. And a lot of people, it's 50 minutes long if you watch the whole, a lot of people watch the whole thing. And I think he's had a huge impression on a lot of people's lives. So J.D.'s impact on a lot of people. And then J.D.'s dream was to have an inner city ministry for Young Life. He grew up in Young Life. Melissa was big in Young Life, his wife. His kids, they used to go back to the camp and everything. But Young Life didn't have enough money to have inner city Young Life. His dream was to have Young Life in inner city. And through the donations and then all of us getting involved, we're going to have Young Life in inner city now because of J.D. So that legacy and the impact and that story about Daytona, I appreciate you letting me tell that. But, you know, in life, things that change and change your life, never dreamed of, you know, that's the turn it would take for us, me and Coy and the whole family now. His boys run real. Two of them are playing football at App State. One of them's racing full-time. Mm-hmm. We had one little guy that tied the whole time that, that well, it's not his son, it's Coy's son, but out of his four, two of them are playing football and two are going to finish school. They're interning. One of them is interning in engineering. It wants to be an engineer at Joe Gibbs Racing. The two oldest want to go into business. 
like their dad did with the race team. So we're kind of pointing towards all that. On Coy's side, we got the one little guy that's racing, Ty. We got the I only got one grand, um, one one grand girl. I just went to the <laughs> the horse show. If you see, you want to talk about some money? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, how much it costs or how much it wins? <laughs> no, those girls. But she's into all that. So anyway, I got the grandkids. You mentioned Ty. Uh, well, you went to Myrtle Beach to see him win, and you yeah. described that as one of the finest moments of your life. Yeah. And especially in motorsports. Yeah. And uh, he's now he's racing K&N, he's racing his late models, and he's racing ARCA. He's only 16, so he can only run the short track. So yeah. I think he's got three seconds or something there. But anyway, he's he always wanted to race. That's all he's wanted to do it's, in life. I had a laugh. Matter of fact, we decided to homeschool him. He didn't care. He didn't, honestly, Ty didn't care a lot about school. I'll yeah. tell that on him. <laughs> but anyway, anyway he just wants to race. So we're homeschooling him. And every day about 10 o'clock, he'd show up to the racetrack. And I'd go, school, what's it? And he'd go, <laughs> oh, you know, I'm, I'm, working on, I'm working on the race car. I'm going to go with the simulator. And his dad told him, he said, you better be a race car driver. You're going to be drywalling the rest of your life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's so true. Coach, I'm, I mean, we just talk about how much you're helping other people. But when you talk about the loss of J.D., who helped you through that? I think our family, you know, Pat has always, you know, she's been really, when you coach football and everything, <laughs> she actually raised J.D. and Coy so much of the time, you know, I'd come home. I, I was the fun guy. I had fun with them, and she's got to discipline them and everything. And uh, I still remember they would get up in the morning, J.D. or Coy, and they would go, Mom! I'd hear them yell, and I'd go, What? They wouldn't answer. And they'd go, Mom! I'd go, What? Wouldn't answer because they knew whatever I said didn't count. No. And when they got mom, they go, "I want to stay home today." <laughs> she go, "No, get your rent up and get going." But she was kind of the boss. Uh, she and then Melissa on JD's side. Honestly, Melissa's so strong, and God made her. I think for to go through that. That was a long struggle. That was five years of a lot of heartache, and those four boys. Uh, on that website, the four boys read from J.D.'s daily log, you know, in that service. And those four boys, are, I think they're going to be special and do special stuff or uh, be part of his impact, too. Isn't it amazing how you learn so much about people? And in this case, it sounds like, even you know, with your own son, you learn so much about them in loss. Yeah. Like these letters, like you wouldn't have predicted that. You wouldn't have known that you would have had that outpouring of not just support, but also stories and anecdotes this is what jd did and and it's maybe unfortunate but also i think it probably helps the healing a lot is when you get to hear things like that that you otherwise would have never known maybe yeah. is that did, did you glean perseverance from those moments i i think it gave me a different insight i didn't see a lot of that you know jd we're roaring through life i've got all this stuff going on and everything and he was touching people's lives. He would stop and touch people's lives, and that's what came back in all these letters and everything. And I'm trying to answer each one of them, but I think that, you know, he he lived it. And it made a big impression on me because, you know, I, I laughed because I got that Norm Miller, a friend of mine who owns Interstate Barriers, and he's he's 80. I'm 78, and he goes, you know, we're playing in the fourth quarter on house money. <laughs> <laughs> I said, Norm, I'm in a two-minute offense. I'm not going back in the huddle. But for me, you know, I, I, I want to finish strong. 
I'm really, I'm, I'm excited. I, I didn't used to think a lot about heaven. Yeah, I really didn't. I was having so much fun down here. You know, I, I knew heaven was there, and you guys got it ready for me. When J.D. went to be with the Lord, I, I, I really, right now, if he came and got me right now, I'd be excited about seeing J.D. I can't, right. I can't wait, honestly. Yeah. And I know you with your dad. Can you imagine that first day when you get to see them again? I, I, I get emotional when I think about it, but... You know, and your dad, I used to kill kids your dad. I would go in there and he, you know, I'd say, you could have been a linebacker. From there. And he, <laughs> he, 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 got the, he got the biggest kick out of that. You know? I get a kick out of that. That's awesome. You know, you know what I used with young, our young drivers with your dad? I told him, I said, hey, listen, I want to tell you something right now. said, the, the thing about Dale, everybody respected Dale. Now, I said, everybody didn't like him. You know what I mean? They boo him, but they respected Dale. And I says, why did they do that? And I try and tell those young drivers, I said, it's the way he handled everything. Did you ever see him pout about anything? Mm -mm. Did you ever see him make an excuse about anything? I still remember at, at, here at Charlotte when he wrecked and got turned over, and they, you know, they, they turned him over. And he got out of the car. Remember, he walked over, and he's kind of holding his back, and he had his helmet in his hand. And everybody goes, oh, my gosh, he's going to throw his helmet. You know what I mean? When they come back around through there, you know, like some guys would do. And when they came back around, all he did was this. <laughs> no, I got you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I got you, boy. That's that music song. He's got you. Yeah. It ain't funny. <laughs> I used to get so ticked off. He was starting the back of the field, and everybody would just part the ways. <laughs> coming, I'm going, hey, come on, give come, me a break. You know, somebody, right. somebody rushed the guy. They're racing, race him, race him. Yeah. <laughs> and so anyway, I, I so I use that a lot with our our young guys. I said, look, if you want people to respect you, treat things the right way. Don't pout, storm off, and all that kind of stuff. He never made an excuse. Yeah. And I appreciate that so much about him. I think he was a stud. This is what your dad was. <laughs> that's, the way, that's the way I feel. We talk about how you flew back from Michigan to be here today, and uh, you're going back tonight to watch your teams run. You're an amazing man, uh, and that says a lot about you. I could uh, take a lot of lessons from the things you told us today, and I know you're, uh, like J.D., affecting a lot of people's lives in a positive way, and, and it's our pleasure to be able to sit down and talk to you. So thank you for coming. No, I appreciate it. I want to say to you, too, that you're really important to our sport, your family, your dad. I thought he was just – I had so much respect for him. And I, I could tell a couple of funny stories about him, but, you know, like – but. I, I just really respect him and you, and you're you're important. Thank goodness, when you stepped away from racing, that you're doing what you're doing now because it means a lot to our sport. I just want you to know that. I so, appreciate okay. it. So, you were talking about what matters in life, and uh, it might be a defense mechanism because I didn't win any championships, but um, I knew a long time ago that if I couldn't win championships, I needed to matter some other way. I needed to be, you know, I needed to be important or to, important to someone and affect someone's life some other way. If you can't be a champion on the racetrack, you can be a champion at home and a champion with your friends. And yep. So that's what I try to do. And I, I think that, um, you know, you reaffirm that with your, with, your, with your comments and make me feel like I'm making good, good decisions. And I think anyone you speak to has, is going to have that same reaction. So I appreciate you. We love you uh, being a part of our sport. And, uh, I'm, you know, I'm a huge fan of, of you, your life, what you're about, um, 
Why didn't you sign that contract? <laughs> <laughs> Let's get right down to it. There's not a great question. Hey, no, let me say this too. I, I appreciate I appreciate you. I can say the same thing about you. That I said you. about your dad. People respect you because well, you didn't you. you didn't whine around on stuff. You you're, and I think the way you relate to our fan base is awesome. I yeah. think I think they get it and you get it. Yeah. I, there's not a day goes by that I don't wonder what might have been. That would have been, been something. Yeah. Thank All you, right. buddy. All right, man. Thank, Thank you. you. Yes, sir. All right, guys. All right. Let me tell you about our friends at Valvoline. As many as you probably know, I was sponsored by Valvoline for several years, and I even drove a Valvoline car at Darlington back mm. in 2015. A lot of drivers are sponsored by Motor Oils, but Valvoline, they were different. They were more than just a logo on my suit or on the race car Valvoline. They were a true partner. They always were hands-on in helping us make our engines perform better, They'd send teams over to Charlotte to work directly with our engine guys in the shop to squeeze out a few more horsepower out of our engines. We literally mixed oils together, different different weights and so forth, to make different cars run better, different motor packages run better. We needed something different for plate races, for road courses, short tracks, intermediates. They always had solutions to make our cars even better, make our motors better. Valvoline even helped me get the monkey off my back at Martinsville in 2014 when I got my first win ever at NASCAR's oldest track. That's why Valvoline is the only motor oil I trust in my engines, and it's why you should trust them in your engine too. From high mileage rides that need that thick anti-wear film to newer engines that have carbon buildup, head over to Valvoline.com slash Dale to find the product spec for your engine. That's Valvoline.com slash Dale. There's a lot of stuff going on this week. I don't know if you guys uh, caught up on much of the racing. Um, Greg Biffle came back. Mm. Came back and won. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is that a big deal? Heck yeah, man, dude, I like it. Yeah. I, listen, but Biffle came out and like took his belt off and whooped all them. Punks. I guess I, it's. I guess I'm not surprised. Like I know Greg Biffle and I'm me and Greg are friends, uh, but I wasn't surprised. I was like, all right, cool. I was surprised. Yeah. You're not supposed to be able to. do You were that. surprised. Yeah, I sure. Was. How I, long, knew, how, I thought. How long has he been out of the out of a car or truck or race or whatever? It does matter for most people. So he's I've not like, been out of it that long. When how, did he retire? Well, that's what, what I'm asking. He hasn't retired. He, he was he, out what a year. Yeah, I mean the, the TV broadcast was putting a big thing on the fact that he's been out of a truck for so long. But it's only been like two years or so that Man. he's been out of a race. I would car. say the trucks are. The, uh, you, you guys are saying he's only been out two years. I get it, but I'm saying is that you yourself uh, have anxiety for that one race a year that you come back point. on. So I'm saying two years is a lot to go off and win a race. Yeah, I mean. I don't know what it says about the field uh, of the truck series. That, no, there's, but there's, he but survived I, it, and that was the, the biggest thing. I was impressed. Yeah. Give the guy, gosh. I, am imp- I mean, I'm glad he won. Damn, Mike. I'm just saying I'm not surprised. <laughs> I have more. <laughs> I have lots of confidence in Greg Biffle. Yeah. I, was, I thought that he would get in the truck and do very, very well. I thought he was going to lose the lead there at the end of the race. And, yeah. and, and I was real surprised at how uh, much those trucks could draft up on each other down the front straightaway and so forth and get runs on each other. Like, the leader was vulnerable at times um, watching that race. Really exciting race. Turn one of the best truck races. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was awesome. Holy. One of the best truck races I've seen uh, at that track in a long time. F1 controversy. So, uh, run this down for us, Matthew. What happened? Okay. Uh, Sebastian Vettel is leading the race, and Hamilton, Lewis Hamilton's on his tail, and Vettel basically miffs up the uh, uh, chicane and drives it through the grass. Leah, can you get us something to watch here? 
the, miffs it yeah. through the grass. Yeah. Like, like, he missed the chicane. Yeah, he misses it. He goes through the grass, man. No no harm, no foul. Continues to lead, regains his position. You know, he didn't pass anybody. Um, F1 in the closing laps uh, right after that made a ruling, gave him a five-second penalty. So Lewis Hamilton, all he had to do is kind of follow him and make sure he was within five seconds, and he won the race. Yeah. And, oh, wait. Uh, no, they doled out the penalty. They, they reported the penalty before the race, race was over. Yeah, oh, well, after it was, the race. It, I thought it was right uh, before the race was oh, over. Oh, right before the end, yeah. they said, hey, penalty for that. All I know is, like, Twitter was in an uproar. Yeah, everybody was and, in an uproar on Twitter. I saw that. The bottom line is, I don't know, my opinion on it is too much politics. Yeah. And it seemed to be the general consensus. Uh, you know, if you can't drive through the grass – Right, and well, ma- it's not like he used it to pass somebody for Christ's sakes. Right. I mean, he drove through the grass and he maintained his position. You can't drive through the grass. If 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 I wanted to watch politics, I turn on CNN, MS, MSNBC, you know, uh, oh, Fox yeah, News. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I I, I, I don't want to watch freaking <laughs> politics. I want to watch racing. I don't know if that's politics. That's just that rules. Was po- there's there's rules. rules. Yeah, I, I don't you understand bre- the politics either. Rulings ruin racing. I know, but what that's was the poli- ruling? It's overruling. Wait, wait, wait. Hold it's, on. What was exactly the ruling? Why did they give them him penalty? That he drove what? off course. Here we go. Surely that's let's not. Take it. a look here. Right? Yeah, it's so ridiculous. I know he drove Mike. off course. Right, let's take look. a look. Watch it. Open All up right. your group here. All right, I'm watching him. <laughs> oh, yeah, he missed the corner. Yeah, right. big deal. Well, I mean, there's a rule that you can't cut the track. That's sort of cutting the track. But he didn't track. gain any position. He, he No, he didn't, but it's still against the rule to go through there. I'm okay, imagine. that's what but I'm But is asking. that against the spirit of racing? All this ruling stuff to me is against the spirit of racing. It That's definitely just cost opinion. him a lot of speed. It wasn't an advantage. No, he did not do it deliberately. I think he just missed a missed yeah. a corner. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm kind of with you. I think that they shouldn't have penalized him. It's a judgment call by the by the stewards, and I think they made the wrong decision. Did you see I, what he did afterwards? By the way, I did. He took the <laughs> he took the number one podium. So he refused to go to the the podium. Uh, so he didn't drive his car to where they take the top three and park them together. He refused to take his car there. Uh, from what I heard, Ferrari asked him to go. Yep. Said, "Look, let's 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 straighten up here and go." He goes and he took the number one podium stand that's in front of Hamilton's car and put it where his car would have been and put number two, <laughs> second place or whatever, in front of Hamilton. I, you know, it's it's frustrating. Hey man, pass tough, pass in the grass. You know, deal, yeah. I mean, come on, uh, penalize Earnhardt five laps. Give it to Bill Elliott, I guess. I mean, come on. Yeah. They'll, you know, hopefully don't make that decision again. You know how F1 is, man. Political. I, I think it is. It's not political. It's just opinion. They're just weird. Uh, <laughs> weirdly, oddly strict and deliberate by, they, they, like, they will read a rule book and without looking at the, the action on the track and looking at this and, and making a judgment decision, they'll read the rule book and, and dole out the penalty as the rule book states. I think, you, you know, NASCAR you know, looks at the action on the track and goes, well, yeah, we got a rule that says that's not right, but, you know, he doesn't, you know. You guys, this him shortcutting is not what they doled out the penalty for. What was the penalty for? They said, this, this is what I was asking, what exactly were they penalizing? They said that he returned to the track in an unsafe manner and forced Lewis Hamilton off the track. That was why they penalized him. Hmm. Now, you could make that case that he came back on the track and – Lewis was trying to go to his outside and had to lift and not hit the wall and all that good stuff. So you got you can't so you can't threw, get sideways in front of somebody and make somebody check up. That's against the rules too. Where's all these rules, man? Politics, I mean, politics. It's not po- <laughs> so rules and politics <laughs> hey. are not the same thing, that Matthew. Rulings. I think it's just ridiculous. It's too yeah. much. It's big government. All right. So um, digging, Haley digging. And she forced somebody off the track. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's in the group me already. All right. Well, she um Yep. Let's take a look at that. She uh she's in this race, K&N race out west. 
She's in the lead on the restart. Her teammate doors <laughs> her. Her teammate, uh, she left the inside. Her teammate shoved her up the track, whatever. He gets under her, makes a good, good racing pass. Used her up a little bit. She fights back to get herself back in position behind him and uh, dove down in the corner. Yeah. He left. Yeah. She drove it in there. Yes, yeah, she What do you is. think? No, okay. Look, here's, he, yeah. here's what I think. Now, I know this podcast, uh, the, the one I'm about to speak of, hasn't actually dropped yet, but we had a, a, a chance to interview Gary Ballou this past week, and it's going to air uh, on yeah. Dirty Mo Media coming up in a few weeks. I've been Gary Ballou'd now after my conversation, which is to say I have no problems with a race car driver. If you want to call that acting dirty, driving dirty, whatever, I think that Haley Deegan went in and took hers, what she felt was rightfully hers, yep. and it didn't even matter that it was her teammate, and she will then pay the repercussions down the road with the teammate or whatever comes with it. But eventually, I think that uh, you know there's a, a lot of level of hypocrisy where people get mad at people for doing what Haley Deegan did, yep. and I'm saying, go get what's yours. If you want to win the race, do what you got to do to win the race. And 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 let and let bygones be bygones. Whatever she'll get one coming back. She's yeah. got one coming her way, and she'll be mad about it. But she got a trophy this week. Yeah. She she uh, her first race. I I thought it was a dirty chicken. You know what move the first first time she she won, and she knocked into some guy and moved him out of the way. This one I looked at it completely different. Yeah. His her teammate went in and doored her. Okay, it wasn't. Oh, really? He used her. her. You used her on the restart. He used her up a little bit. Yeah, so yeah. somebody he doors did. me. Well, guess what? I'm going to door you back or hit yeah. you back, and it is what it is. That's, that's short. That's a short track. But, but don't you think she does this move uh, even if he hadn't doored her? Uh, Do you think maybe that wasn't retaliation? Was it? Yeah. I mean, she, it she said it. Certainly, she said okay. it. in her interview afterwards, she said said that if you're going to okay. race me that way, she this said is, I didn't expect it from my teammate. She's coming off of a, of, of a situation over a couple weeks ago where she got spun out by a guy who wouldn't let you know. He's trying. She's trying to pass this guy and he keeps cutting her off. Keep, keeps cutting her off and spun her out. Uh, she spun herself out underneath him, trying not to wreck him. And uh, she was she's posting on social media about how frustrated she was with the way she's being raced, and she's gonna you know she's gonna stand up for herself. She's gonna race hard, not take any crap. I think that's what this is. Yeah, it's short track racing. You know, if it it's fine. I think it's good. I, I, she backed I it. She backed up her words, man. Yeah. I mean, Joe Logano, Martin Trex Jr., Martinsville, totally cool. That's racing. Yep. You got to win. Got to go for the win. Yeah, wins it, are wins are wins are wins are hard to get. And, and to be clear, we're not saying that everybody ought to be cool with it. No, you're supposed to be yeah. upset yeah. about it. You're supposed to That's not good. be okay with that. Yeah. That's it's what it's just part of it. Agree to disagree if you don't like it. Right. Yeah. So um, a couple other things that I saw out there on social media this week. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, so Justin Bieber challenged Tom Cruise to a fight what? in an octagon, I, and there's no... Uh, I didn't see that. From what I could tell, nobody can find any um, reason why he might have challenged him. Send, send that to us. But, uh, yeah, so Justin Bieber just went on Twitter and said, I want to challenge Tom Cruise to a fight in the octagon. Tom, if you don't take this fight, you're scared, and you will never live it down. Of Justin Bieber. <laughs> Who, who's willing to put on the fight? Dana White question mark. Conor McGregor comes out and says, "If Tom Cruise is man enough to accept this challenge, McGregor Sports and Entertainment will host the bout. Does Cruise have the sprouts to fight like he does in the movies? Stay tuned to find out. There must be something there going on. This is some kind like of a publicity a, stunt. Yeah, this is some kind of publicity stunt. But I because there's no nobody could really find any purpose for yeah uh, Justin to be able to post no, something like that. Yeah, there's, like, there's saying, no beef. No. Yeah, it's just a bizarre just something, beef? some bizarre sort of thing going on. Yeah. that's going to end up being a big production, a promotion, Probably. or some kind of weird, <laughs> yeah, some kind of thing. 
They're saying that Cruz stands at 5'7 and weighs 170 pounds, and Bieber is 5'9, 145 pounds. So oh. There you go. Here's yeah. your Tell fight the stats. Tell the tape already out. Goodness. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Who you got? Maverick. The Tom yes. Cruise, I think. Because yes, I think he does martial. He does his own stunts. He's taking martial arts. I've seen him jump I on agree. a couch before. He's he, he's pretty nimble. And he's and he's he nuts. jumped on your couch? No, not my couch. Oh, he's fifty-seven years old. But yeah. um, this other thing I saw because of Matthew commented on it on social media and um, Kelly Crandall <laughs> got in it. With, how do you even know how to pronounce this? John Levesque. John Levesque. Yeah, it's a buddy of mine. All right, who's John? John works for Racing Electronics. Yeah, and, and I race Ke- RC cars with him. And, and Kelly's a NASCAR. Kelly's beat a NASCAR beat media. rider. Yeah, yeah. 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 And so, <laughs> um, he, John, what, you could, since you're, you were, follow, oh boy. you were following it on social media, give us your side of it. Oh, and don't, uh, and be, be down well, the middle. Yes. Yeah, yeah, I'm not going to, I'm not going to say my, you know, yeah. Well, yeah, set Ke- it up because I don't know. Well, what basically for the fans listening, Kelly Crandall, uh, said something about, uh, I, I believe it started where she said something about, uh, the rain out being yep. a five o'clock race and this and that. And John said that it sucks for the whole industry and, you know, the people that have to work it have to unnecessarily stay late uh, because He wants of that. the race to be tape delayed. Started Which at I 10, disagree with. Started at 10, 11 o'clock, tape delayed the race, yeah. play it later tonight. I guess it's um, moved up because of what, World Cup World soccer? Cup soccer's Women's playing World today. Cup. So we're going to so, start the race at 5 o'clock this evening. Which I ha- personally Monday. hate that, but that's this isn't about that. This, yeah. is, this is about Kelly said that and then... John said that, and then John threw some heat at her online saying, well, if you were actually here, are you here? And she said, no. If you were actually here, maybe you'd have a different opinion. And then said, a real journalist Ooh, would be wow. here. Ooh. Come on. You don't need to Which, like John, that. that's a low blow. I love that's you, brother. Um, I may agree with your opinions on certain things. but Kelly then promptly tweeted a picture of all her writer, sports writer <laughs> trophies. <laughs> oh, wow. That's a, that's a little, which that's, I thought was great. That's a great response, yeah. <laughs> you know, I... So That's funny. <laughs> I wanted to bring up this interaction on social media, not to not to really get into that particular yeah. battle or pick a side. Uh-oh. It's more to actually talk about the um, the race the race being uh, ran at five o'clock tonight. We talk, uh, we got the uh, World Cup soccer. There's a lot of World Cup soccer fans out there. Oh, yeah. They want to see their uh, their game. A bunch. And uh, we don't tape delay an, a, a, a major event in our sport. Our sports should be live and on television. Yeah. Uh, these are the. This is just a frustrating part of things like this happening. I mean, that rain delay is going to put us in a difficult situation. But I remember, it's funny to hear all these people in the industry uh, crying about having to be over there. And it's, TJ Majors texted me, oh, what a waste of a day. Do y'all remember when it rained and rained? We were in Michigan. Oh, God, we were there until Tuesday. What, was Tuesday. it Tuesday? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And there that. was a, it was guaranteed. To rain a hundred percent. Yes. All day. We knew Saturday it was going to rain all day, all day Sunday, and all day Monday. Yep. And NASCAR did not turn anyone loose. I mean, we have the ability, we have the flexibility to to leave and go home for a couple of days. They could have said, "Look, you know, it's not going to happen today. Come back Monday night. Let's do this Tuesday, or come back Sunday night. We'll do this Monday. Whatever, you know." They had us sitting around in those motorhomes all day Sunday, pouring rain, never let up. We didn't get a break, a window, nothing. No jet dryers hit the track. Same thing Monday, pouring rain. I mean, this was so frustrating. And I laugh about this situation that everybody's complaining about. Cole Pern, what did he say on Twitter? His was the best response, I think. Well, maybe not. But he was very explicit. 
I don't know. Maybe he deleted it. Oh, come on. Oh, Cole. come on, man. Don't you don't be, delete don't tweets. Don't be delete. Oh, I think he deleter. did because he did. he's, yeah, well, really, he did need, respond. A, really yeah. need a precursor or anything on Twitter with, I'm joking, lighten up people. Oh, uh, so sarcasm. Yeah, it was something like he wanted to go to game five, I guess, or something of the NHL finals, which was either tonight or. Uh, game uh, five was, game six was last night. Yeah, well, he said game five in his tweet. He's like, I guess I'm not going to whatever game is for the NHL Finals, but I, at least I know what it's like to be effed over by multiple women's Oof. soccer teams. Ooh. And, yeah, so he, I guess he deleted that tweet. But that would have he probably wouldn't had to have deleted the tweet if he was working, still working for Furniture Row. But now that he works for Joe Gibbs, I think the probably. PR team might have contacted him about that. <laughs> we should have asked I laugh <laughs> about all these, uh, all these guys griping because I think about that that weekend, <laughs> we were there till Tuesday. Imagine, <laughs> imagine if that was the case for these guys. Well, I mean, listen, you were griping that week. I remember. I mean, Heck I, yeah, of course. So okay. I think it's because it's over let soccer. Me, let me ask: Is that really why? I that's why. I, if I was there, that's why. The only reason I'd be pissed is over because soccer? it's over a soccer game. Well, come on. The, 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 the you think Big Cup. Bill France would have would have changed his start times because there's a a freaking water polo game or or you know soccer's big. Okay. Whether it's a soccer game or a football game, no. But isn't it supposed Run to Run a race at noon and, no, and find would. a way to televise it. I think he would. You think so? Yeah. I, I disagree. I think he agree would to disagree. He, I think he would if he would have taken hundreds of millions of dollars from that network. Mm. Isn't it supposed to rain to like 2 o'clock today there yeah. anyway? So. Yeah. Which is good. Thank well, God. yeah, I mean, that's a, yeah. that's, that's a different part. Um, Listen, if any time TJ Majors is complaining about something, I naturally take, take the, the opposite side, position. Yeah. When does he not? <laughs> right. I mean, listen, and, and I love him for it, but listen, <laughs> if he's complaining about something, you know that it's usually self-indulged type, <laughs> c- c- you know, yeah. that's where he's coming from. He's coming to a place of selfishness, <laughs> which I can easily then take the other side and say, oh, well, maybe it's in the best interest for the sport yeah. and for everything else if it TJ's does. mad. I want to be honest. Now, rain delays and rain outs and postponements suck. We all have plans the next day. You have something you're looking forward to, whether it's getting home to your family, sure. you have a podcast to do, whatever it is, right, that we all have plans to do. But that's such a common occurrence in our sport. We're, we, 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 we always uh, make note when it doesn't, when we don't get rain outs for consecutive weeks. We go, wow, what, how lucky are we to not have had a rain out in five weeks, you know, or whatever, or a delay. In the rare, and it always seems to happen at the same tracks. We always get rain, uh, Michigan, Pocono, this time of year. Uh, we get delays typically at the similar same racetracks. Uh, you just have to go into Michigan or you have to go into Pocono just kind of knowing that this is a real possibility. Yep. I shouldn't get too excited about my Monday because that's a chance I'm going to be spending it in Pocono or in Michigan. Uh, when you're on the series or the circuit long enough, you sort of get to – get the feeling that way at Dover and all these yep. tracks, particularly this time of year. But I found that, I found it amusing. I want to see, I want more people to complain. He's so amused that he doesn't have to be there. I am, I'm not there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he would be Meanwhile, he'd be in the trailer pissed. I I'm glad I'm retired. Yeah, he's so happy. I'm just rubbing it in. I know. I'm just rubbing it in, trolling him. You earned that. Yeah. You earned that uh, opportunity. You troll. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So um, I think we're live, are we not? Yeah. All right. So uh, Let's go. welcome to everybody who's watching on YouTube, Dirty Moon Media YouTube. 
Make sure you follow all of our uh, social media handles. I'm sure you do if you're on here. Yeah. Uh, this is the Ask Junior portion of the show presented by Nationwide. We're going to take some questions. Leah Vaughn's going to tee those up for us. Not Linda Vaughn. Not Linda Vaughn. That's going to happen. Um, <laughs> it's still. It's from hard. time to time. Yeah. <laughs> Should anyway. we check and see if the, our audio's working this week? I mean, did yeah, they hear can us? Can everybody hear us? It's, hey. Yeah, okay, it's okay. working. Hey. Uh, trust me, that Andrew. was as frustrating for us as it was for you guys last week when we had to cancel. Uh, but we're back. Good yeah. audio. Yeah. Thank you, Randy. All right. Um, <laughs> first question. With uh, the Triple Crown uh, ending last week with the Belmont Stakes, Patrick Kinzer wants to know, uh, Junior, what is your Triple Crown for NASCAR? Like as far like as? the big three. The big three races? Yeah. Oh, man. Um, world, you got to have the World 600 and Daytona 500 in there. Those are two races that have yep. to be in there. And I think the third race is pretty interchangeable. I mean, it's going to be you know, I, I can't even know. I, I don't know if I can even pick one. I might put Bristol Night Race in there one year, and then it might be Homestead for the championship the next year. I don't even know. Um, I I wouldn't put Indy in there. I know the Brickyard's a very, very uh, magical place. Loved going there for the 500, but for what we do there and the the way the race is, I, I just it's not in my list. It's not in my top three. It, you know, it's an important race, but not in my top three. So I always, as a kid, I always wanted to go to the Bristol Night Race. I just was, and, and anybody that's not ever been to a race, when I get people that say, hey, man, I want to go to a race, where should I go? I tell them the Bristol Night Race. I don't tell them the Daytona 500. I would go to Daytona, you know, second, third race. But the Bristol Night Race, I know, is going to be exciting enough to, to hook that fan or hook that person for that first event. Um, so I might have to, have to say that's my three. All right, Skylar Fox, as you are a huge collector, what is something you always wish you had um, as far as racing memorabilia? memorabilia. Isn't it tough it's to say that? Memorabilia, that's yeah. Mike Davis's word. Yeah. <laughs> Matt, I think Matthew's the only one who left to not, to, <laughs> not, to say butcher, that, not butcher that finally word. did something right. It, it, your time's coming. <laughs> I, um, you know, I, I, I don't know that there's something out there that I have my eyes on or wish I had. I, I, the stuff that I wish I had is, is a general bulk of items like I wish I had I don't know one or any of dad's driving uniforms from before his rookie year when he ran sportsman in the 70s I wish I had you know I don't know I don't any car that dad raced in one in um you know I'd love to have that stuff you know I think that the reason why I spent so much on the Nova was because I had a personal connection I remember being around that car I remember dad building it dad and and me going to memo shop and walking around it and uh so it has a personal I, I would have spent more for that car than i would have paid for any car that dad raced in the black three for richard childers because mm-hmm. the connection to me personally was was special you know i'd love to have any car that dad raced in the in the 80s having that monte carlo to me is so special because of it you know it raced in 79 and 80 david pearson won Darlington in that car, and Dad won Atlanta and Charlotte in 1980 in that car. It's just, I mean, those things cool. aren't those things ain't laying around. Helmets are cool. Late model stuff. I, know I love getting a hold of my stuff. Yeah. Um, there's some stuff out there. There's a guy on, on on eBay now that's got some noses and tailpieces from when I raced in 1994. Uh, wants $2,500 for them, and it's just too much. I can't I can't justify paying that much money for my own stuff. But I love collecting sides and doors and anything from my career uh, my dad's career uh, my sister's career brother all that stuff any of that personal family tied 
kind of stuff is cool. You recently got um, that Wrangler uh, Blazer, and somebody wants to know, where did you get it, and how many of those are out there? Yeah, the Wrangler Blazer. There was a Dale Earnhardt Sr. Signature Edition Wrangler Blazer made around 1984. Dad had that and drove it. He actually drove it around uh, as his own you know, personal vehicle. Not very long. I think he had it for several months, maybe a year. And then he sold it to our neighbor across the street. Another guy that was a farmer that dad was friends with and right across the street from DEI is where this family lived. That guy drove it. He's the only other person that's drove this car and he recently passed away, but that car's not been on the street for multiple years. It's been in a garage and it's in good shape because it's been sitting in that garage. But uh, he, this man recently passed. His family contacted us about having uh, attaining uh, ownership of the vehicle. vehicle. It was a very fair uh, price and um so i thought it'd be cool to have There's, i don't know that there is another one like it i don't know that i'll touch it though i think i'm gonna leave it alone i don't have any uh, desire to um restore it at this t- particular time but i am glad that i have it jonathan harrett um he says he has no idea you did some drumming he's a big fan of drummers yeah. like phil collins nick mason um goes on and on who are some of your favorite drummers phil collins is awesome because he's actually coming around we might want to try to get to see him in charlotte this year when he comes through he's touring again uh dave Grohl was one of my favorite drummers of all time and uh probably he's at the top of the list for me as a nirvana fan and and um his work in queens of the stone age is pretty awesome but you know i played the I, I, i wasn't ever good at all i was awful but I loved to try to play, and I loved music, and, and I um, quit drumming because people I was bad. And people would say, uh, when I go to a concert, uh, people would go, come on, you're playing the drums. I'm like, I'm really bad. You've never seen me play, and you would not be asking me to do this if you knew how bad I, I was on, on a set of drums. I'm awful. I was awful. And it's not like riding a bike. You, once you quit, you don't, know, you, you don't get it back. You can't. You can't jump on. I can't jump on the drums right now and, and carry a beat. I can't. And uh, it's something you have to continue to do and practice at playing, like golf. Like you know, you don't play golf twice a year. You would drive yourself insane if you did that. You have to play all the time to be good at it, even to be decent at it. You have to do it a lot, and that's the way drumming is. And um, so eventually, I just quit drumming because uh, I was never going to be great at it. I didn't have the time to put into it. It was a lot of fun. Uh, drum set takes up a lot of room, though. Mm. Um, I don't even know where I'd put one today, but I've got a set somewhere. I think you got rid of it. Yeah, maybe I did. Alex Akers, um, logistics aside, if NASCAR could have one international race anywhere in the world, where would you like it to be? I mean, if you're talking existing racetrack, I think it'd be cool to go to Cougar. Uh, I don't even know. What's the name of that place now? Oh, man. Uh, J- Jacasa. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Jacasa. It's, it's in Canada. It's, in it's Canada. awesome. It's an oval. It's a track that was restored recently. Um, you used to call it Cayuga. Yeah. Um, I'd love to go. If we're going to go outside of the United States and showcase our sport, we need to take Martinsville or Bristol to those people. Yes. We need to take short track racing, rubbing, beating and banging, night racing, uh, Saturday night short track racing. Whatever it is, wherever we're going to go, that's what we need to take to showcase uh, outside of the United States. Don't take Daytona plate racing. Don't take mile and a half road courses. I mean, road courses would be great, exciting, but let's take them. got em, that already. Yeah, let's take them what our roots. Let's take them short track racing. Damn. So that's what I would do, and, and, and you'd have to probably – 
you'd probably have to build racetracks if you were going over to Europe to do that right. I don't know that they have a lot of ovals over there, much less short track ovals that would that would work for us. But uh, if they could build, you know, a, a, a Bristol or a Martinsville in, in Europe somewhere, it'd be amazing to see what those folks thought of that, you know. A little conversation came up on Twitter about uh, Montreal because Formula One was running yeah. there, and I loved when we ran there as a sport in the Xfinity Series. Mm. Cool. All right. Well, <laughs> I'm glad we you won there. So anyway. <laughs> JRM yeah. won there. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Ron Fellows. I Montreal. All right. Last question. <laughs> that was uh, a road course. Yeah. yeah. Last question. <laughs> this is a burning one. What was the last movie you watched? Oh, my God. <laughs> Let's see. It's burning. Uh, well, this is. <laughs> I'm really wanting it to be like it's a laugh. Do, 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 I watched do, The Lion King. <laughs> Lion King? Friday night. Oh. With your dog. My dog watched the entire thing. All right, so I, 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 the, I can't remember the last movie I've watched from start to finish. I'm a documentary guy, so I love watching documentaries. And, um, but I called Amy in, sort of in the middle of Crazy Rich Asians and ended up watching the back half of that movie. And actually better than i thought it would be what is it on is it a- i don't know i mean she's she it I don't was know what channel it's no. probably like hbo or something netflix or? it's probably out like on amazon yeah. like prime Maybe or something netflix. yeah but she was watching it and i came in in the middle of that but it, it was good i know yeah. the yeah the book series is like really popular so yeah i haven't seen the i'd heard about it but never would have watched it but yeah. amy said I, my friends were telling me to watch it i watched it she sat down and watched it so i finished we got to end on a better one than that oh okay. give, give us just a- i like that one you don't. Uh, like, I mean, Mike don't understand it. You, you could go to the well right Talk here. Talk about something Mike doesn't understand. You want that one? Let's go to the well. Okay. Go, I thought this was. I well. like this one. What does that Come mean? On. Go to the well. I don't Do know. We, but we're going to it. Um. Hey, Dell Junior. Mike Davis. Bentley says this, by the way. I was just listening to the Thanksgiving podcast and was curious: Did Homestead ever send you guys the miniature model of the original track? <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. You remember that? Uh, the Thanksgiving yeah, yeah, yeah. episode, he went back and was listening to it, and Homestead was going to send you the I model of the original. Where is it, man? It's still in Homestead. They haven't sent it? No. What the heck, Homestead? Homestead Motor Speedway, what's up, man? Where's that dang... I t- so, the, I, I mean, we talked about this, but... Um, so I was I was working the Homestead race for NBC, and down in the basement where we get on the elevator to go up to the booth is a, about the size of this table, an old model of the old uh, Homestead Motor Speedway. And <laughs> it's just sitting there, not getting used. It's in a case, and it's, 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 it's really cool. I was like, that should be on the... So I reached out to the track president, and I said, that should be on display. He said, it used to be in our lobby. We don't have it out there no more, obviously. I said, well, damn, I want to take it. I'll display it. I, I'd, I'd love to have it. We could put it in here. And he goes, all right, I'll figure out a way to do that. I got Mike Helton actually connected me to the... And I talked to Helton, and he's like, we'll figure out a way to get it to you. But I haven't gotten <laughs> it yet. I don't know where it is. <laughs> I mean, it's in Homestead. It's not an easy trip. It's got it. We've got to figure out... Somebody who's, trailer. who's trailering something that way. You'd send Sonny yeah. to get I mean, it. If this, was, if this was the 70s, we'd call Gary Ballou. And go, hey, man, <laughs> got any room for this thing in their haulers that's coming up this way. Uh, but um, I, won't, I want the damn thing. Bring it to me. That's a good. I mean, she's I'm looking at me like, are, are you satisfied? <laughs> that's exactly. I'm not going down there to get it. It's not that damn cool. But <laughs> I will pay somebody to travel it up here or to bring it. There you go. Boy, now. We're going to we'll get, get calls from Joe's Trucking's going to call. Hey, man. <laughs> it's right. de- it's got to be taking, yeah, you know, it's got to be, a, it's a delicate piece. You know what I mean? Thanks, everybody. For, Thank uh, y'all for tuning in. in. Yeah, Ask Junior. Uh, appreciate y'all tuning in. I'm glad it worked this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, Matthew and Leah have been hard at it all week trying to work out the kinks and the bugs. Uh, this is brought to you by Nationwide, our friends at Nationwide. 
You love to cook, but you're not in the mood to do the dishes tonight? Hey, don't worry about it. Watch your favorite show with your favorite people instead and get food delivered with DoorDash. Ordering is easy. Just use the DoorDash app and choose what you want to eat, and your DoorDasher mm. will bring it right to you. Wherever you are, you can be at home or at work, like Lee and Matthew are going to be later tonight, <laughs> finishing up this podcast. Their Dasher will have a warm meal delivered right to the studio so they won't miss a beat, and you guys get the podcast on time. <laughs> Not only is that burger place you love on DoorDash already, but over 300 and 10,000 other amazing restaurants are too. DoorDash connects you with the door-to-door delivery in over 3,300 cities in all 50 states across the United States and Canada. Mm. Oh, gotta be happy about that, Canada. Yeah. <laughs> right now, our listeners can get $5 off their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter promo code Dale Jr. That's $5 off your first order. When you download the DoorDash app from the App Store and enter the promo code Dale Jr. Again, the promo code is Dale Jr. for $5 off your first order from DoorDash. Don't worry about dinner. Let dinner come to you with DoorDash. All right, it's time for this week's Valvoline DIY question of the week. Dale Jr., we all know a man likes his toolbox. Yeah. You probably had a few over the years. So the question is, what in your mind is the single greatest tool in your toolbox? It's the claw, man. So let me tell the you about the, yeah. Let me tell you about the claw. He's like the claw. Yeah, it, the it's claw. just like that. It's just like a hand <laughs> shaped like a claw. So when I was working at the dealership changing oil, the you know tool tool man comes by once a week. Tool truck comes by once a week. Save up your money. You go in there and buy you a new tool or replace a tool. That's cool. Uh, that's broke. And I changed oil. Toughest thing about changing oil is getting the air filter off or the oil filter off. So the car comes in, motor's hot. Trying to get that oil filter off, you need particular tools. And oil filters come in various sizes. So typically it would be a sleeved sort of cap that would go over the filter and, and loosen it up. But since they're all different sizes, you need multiple tools for that. Well, the claw was all in one and I could put it at the bottom of a filter and it would it would clasp around any filter and, and it would do damage to that old filter now when you when you uh, you know broke this thing free and backed it out and loosened it up it would dent and scar the outside of this filter so it was going to throw it away you wouldn't want to really uh, get too aggressive when you when you when you put the new filter on and I usually did those uh, by hand and 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 tighten it just a little bit with the claw, but you got to be careful. But anyways, I still have that tool. I bought that tool back in 1995 or 6, and I still have it today in my toolbox. So that's my favorite tool. Wow, I didn't even see that one coming. What do you I, got? I, I was trying to think. I mean, listen, I was trying to go just, you know, basic, generic, you know, got to be a hammer. But then I realized, you know, there's things you can hammer stuff with. I mean, you can get a rock and, and try to make it into a kind of a makeshift hammer. And then I was like, well, you got to go screwdriver. But then I realized so do you, have you a, could take a screwdriver. You have a good rock you in do, you toolbox. Could, you, 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 yeah. So my answer is a rock. No, I, I have to have something with a blade. And and just having a and this is what I typically use. Utility I mean, use a utility knife. Yeah, that's your favorite tool. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I use it the most. It does not sit in a toolbox unused for a long time. I have my my blades. I keep those in the kitchen cabinet, in the kitchen drawer. So you know, for Amazon boxes and so forth. Mm. That my uh, the knife that uh, Stone Cold gave me. It's in it's the new uh, all in one open anything kind of knife that's in our kitchen drawer uh, that me and Amy use. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that makes sense. I mean, like, yeah, you just end up need. 
you wish you had a knife or you you wish you had a utility blade or something when you don't have it. Isn't so that I the truth, man? You go into that damn toolbox to get that utility <laughs> blade out, and it's so damn dull. And then you take it all apart to flip it over, and the backside's dull. Because <laughs> you realize, yeah, you, you got no new it. blades. So frustrating. That's well, why I keep that knife around. That's my vote. You got a vote? Anybody? I like. Uh, I got a. I got a screw. The screwdriver where you take the one. The bits and, out. Yeah, and yep. but the not the one where you have to change bits, the one where you just flip it flip over around, and it's yep. the fl- Phillips head. Yeah. I don't know why, but I got geeked up over that. There's a screwdriver now. I don't know who makes it, but uh, in the handle, the handle opens up and there's like 10 bits in there, oh. all different sizes. So that's very convenient. Christmas Isn't it gift. crazy? I mean, back when I was doing dealership work, they didn't have stuff like that. Now yeah. it's, everything's made so convenient. Yeah. One of the best gifts I gave all my buddies, so I do a little shopping for my, for my buddies uh, uh, for Christmas, and there's about 15 of them. I, get, I got them a, a little tiny small uh, power drill or a, pa- or a screwdriver, electric screwdriver, and it's very hand, you know, very small. And uh, they still email me or text me pictures of that thing, them using it around the house years later. <laughs> You got one, Leah? No. No favorite tool? Okay. Yeah, no. I mean, I have a, I, my dad, like when I moved out on my own, my dad got me this little toolbox and a drill, but the only time it gets used is when he's around. Ah. <laughs> so, so you don't ever you don't have the need to use a tool? I mean, I've used, like, I use, sometimes I'll use the hammer to, like, put a nail on the wall and hang a picture. Like, okay. I, I'm, no, I'm not okay. really, not really a tool go. person. Well, from high mileage rides that need <laughs> that thick anti-wear film to newer engines that have carbon buildup, head over to Valvoline.com slash Dale to find the product spec for your engine. That's Valvoline.com slash Dale. Keep coming, bud. White flag, bud. White flag right there. White flag. This is time sensitive, so I'm going to get to it first. Our friends at pristineauction.com have an online auction right now for a Dale Jr.-themed VIP experience. It it ends Tuesday night, June 11th. So, Dillner, the quicker you get this out, the better they have. Oh, geez, that's tomorrow. That's tomorrow. As I said, it's time sensitive. It, so if you're listening to this podcast before Tuesday night, and it's like 11 o'clock Tuesday night, so you got some time, get to pristineauction.com, get a load of what they're offering in this, okay? Three laps with Dale Jr. at Darlington Raceway. He's giving yeah. ride-arounds there. One pair of skeleton gloves signed by Dale Jr., a private tour of Junior Motorsports, two tickets plus pit and garage passes to the NASCAR Xfinity Race on August 31st at Darlington, two tickets to the NASCAR Hall of Fame, four nights stay at Hampton Inn, plus a swag bag that includes spies, sunglasses, and other items, just got to go to pristineauction.com and search Dale Jr. VIP Experience with Ride Along. This benefits the Dale Jr. Foundation. So that's that. It's uh, been a few weeks since we've had uh, some Apple podcast reviews. Ooh. I know we love our reviews, yeah. so let me uh, get to a few. Hot Rod Robinson writes, My wife and I love the John Force podcast. Keep on doing what you're doing, Dale. You are making an impact on the sport that will live long after you and I are gone. Sean Boy Roberts writes, I never claimed to be a Dale Jr. fan. <laughs> Dale, yeah, I heard that. Uh, but, man, I love or I look forward every week to this dang show. Michael Waltrip's interview must have brought on my allergies because my eyes kept watering up. I had a lot of feedback. I know. Waltrip, hey, the Waltrip episode did good. Yes. Did good, didn't it? <laughs> did real good. JB from Louisiana writes, lifelong wrestling and NASCAR fan here. I thought it was a great deal that Dale Jr. sounded like a legit wrestling fan. I think he's he nice. kind of like giving it's you kind of, kind of dig. He's like he sounded like a legit wrestling fan. Yeah. I mean, maybe he is a legit wrestling fan, uh, but he showed mad respect to Stone Cold Steve Austin. Genuine interest for his story. I thought that was well done. And then Max seventy nine FXE writes, "I want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart." For the produced piece on Petty Officer John Tomlinson. Being a 10-year veteran of the Navy myself, I had the honor and privilege of being a support technician with the SEAL teams. Bringing John's story to the forefront was a gift to us all, so thank you. 
And speaking of which, uh, you know, the military, we got a gift. And you know we like our gifts, Dale. A buddy of mine from high school, a good friend of mine, Mark Stevens, is in the U.S. Air Force. And he sent us an American flag that flew. Uh, it says This certificate says this flag was proudly flown uh, in an F-15E Strike Eagle on a combat mission over Syria and Iraq in support of Operation Inherent Resolve. And so we have this flag that we can display here in our studio. I think that's pretty awesome. Yes, that's awesome. You know? And also, Dale, I, I, I don't know. Let me go get it, because I want you to tell us what our new acquisition here in the studio. Oh. Uh-oh. I don't even know this. Mike's on a field trip. Man. Here he comes. He's coming back. Okay, I'm back. T- tell us the story here. Okay. I mean, I, you're putting me on the spot, I believe. Let me look here. Well, uh, where we got it. I, I know you right. don't know the details of, of everything, but here. So, uh, yeah, so I, Sam Bass... Uh, recently passed away. His wife is is uh, going through his estate and his his collection of items that he's been uh, attaining over his career. Obviously, he has a lot of Dale Earnhardt stuff, and uh, this helmet was was in his collection. And I believe it was from 1996 yep. at Charlotte Motor Speedway. Uh, he ran a red, red and white. In blue, obviously, uh, like a patriotic, yeah, patriotic paint scheme for the uh, I think it's All Star race. Yep. And this was the helmet. So this is legit Dale Earnhardt helmet. You know, it's one of those things where you know it's not often. It seems like it's happening a, a good amount over the uh, last several months, but it's not often that we that I get uh, legit Dale Earnhardt used items. But we've gotten a suit from 1984 in the last several months. We've gotten a couple of race cars. Over yes. the last several months, we've gotten this helmet that was Dad's that he used. Uh, the stuff's just really kind of trickling in. It's nice to to know that um, that it's going to be taken care of and it's here. I appreciate Sam and and Dad's relationship with Sam was a great one. They were great friends, uh, so we appreciate his wife and and uh, their connection to us and her wanting us to have this. It meant a, a lot to me. Kelly actually gave it, uh, had it, and, and gave it to me. We're going to just display it here. It's. It's really either it's really no ones. It doesn't belong to me. It doesn't belong to Kelly. It's kind of ours, and we're just going to keep it here in the in the showroom. And uh, we're going to add as we see fit. I think as things come in, and and uh, yeah. we thought about having that uniform over there changed in and out over time, but that one stuck around for a while. So Austin Dillon actually ran that paint scheme yeah, this, this past week. Yeah, that some, uh, uh, a version of it for sure. Yeah, yeah. that's cool. Uh, and then the last thing I've got is just uh, don't forget to check us out on NBC Sports Network uh, Tuesday nights, five p.m. Eastern. Uh, we'll be doing this when it'll be good. Oh, we got something else. <laughs> something just came up on yeah, social here. Something just came up from uh, some guy named Spotter Brett on Twitter. We might know him. Uh, he is tweeting, missing my post-shoulder surgery appointment today, an x-ray of my ass, recording of DBC, and taking my kids to the pool. But at least there's soccer on TV. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Brett Griffin, God, what a crybaby. <laughs> <laughs> They're so I just want to leave that out there. They're so <laughs> Listen, this is. I guess this is my point. <laughs> let me funny, just respond. It's to this. like they. Ne- I'm, I want to let you. I want to let you respond because I know you're going to tease. Just go rant. <laughs> I just want to say they act like that. They are. They never had a rain out before. He acts <laughs> like that. What is this rain? What? What? <laughs> what? I mean, this is like he has been in the sport a long time. This yeah. is has this like it's ha- he's like act like you've been there. This reminds me of uh, you know back in our days we were at the racetrack and I remember you know the, one of the biggest places that people complain the most is the motorhome lot and I'm not even talking about the drivers I'm talking about the motor coach drivers themselves the mm. motor coach guys no and they would complain and they'd be like I can't believe they're keeping us here till Monday and I'm like. <laughs> 
It ain't about y'all. It never was. I know it's it's a problem. I know I get it. You're gonna have to drive a little faster. I don't know whatever you do. Take one less pee break. I don't know what you do. But I'm just saying. You know what? It has nothing to do with you guys. And I sometimes want to just say that to the you know our industry. I know it sucks. All right. Well, you have the opportunity right now to go on Twitter and troll Brett. So, so it's at Spotter Everybody Brett. Troll Brett. Yeah, Spotter troll Brett. Brett. We we encourage trolling Brett. <laughs> He'll block you. <laughs> Don't. It'll yeah. be the last time you troll him. <laughs> but anyways, all right. Well, look, look they get a chance. They'll. I think they're going to tape Wednesday now. I think they're taping Wednesday. Yeah. So we'll get to hear all about yeah. it. That'll be a big podcast. I'm of waiting. Complaining. On, I'm waiting on you to troll him. Well, it's, you want me it's to do not right about now? you. Hashtag don't block me. <laughs> <laughs> don't block me. <laughs> well, anyways, there you go. NBCSN, that's when we're rolling on TV. Uh, follow us all on social media. Uh, and that's it. Dale, what you got for uh, uh, Odd History? Odd History. This one's just sort of random, right? Uh, pretty weird. Uh, but things were different back in the day. This was 1950. NASCAR was in its second season. Gas prices were about 18 cents Ugh, a gallon. Nice. Yeah, you nice. could obviously buy a basic T-shirt easy for under a dollar. A lot of drivers raced in just T-shirts mm. and pants that's and a helmet. Unsafe. But, hey, that's what they did back then in 1950. Yeah. Cleveland, Ohio driver Jimmy Florian. He was 27 years old and uh, was a construction company mechanic. He came onto the NASCAR scene winning in only his Fourth start, mm. the win came in June in his home state at Dayton Speedway. It was Ford Motor Company's first win in the Grand National Division, so they should be very proud. Took them they should enough. be they should be promoting uh, this this event and and the uh, the win by Jimmy Florian. Mm. They might not want to. You know why? No, tell me. <laughs> well, he did it without a shirt on. <laughs> uh, obviously, it's hot, so Florian decided that. Uh, white pants and a helmet, and the goggles were good enough. <laughs> he drove his red and cream 1950 Ford at an average speed of 75 miles per hour to victory. That's pretty quick, actually. Yeah. Um, that's an average speed. Then climbed out and took a victory lane photo. No shirt. <laughs> uh, moderate amount of chest hair. <laughs> Looking at this photo. Uh, he's with his uh, race team, and there y'all have shirts on. I don't know, man. This is a. Uh, he is pretty proud of himself. <laughs> sure. I'll say that. That's a win for the skins. <laughs> I like what you did there. Reminds me of that photo of your dad on that horse when he's just not wearing He's wearing jeans and no yeah. shirt. Like, it's awful. Don't remind people of that. Oh, come on. Awful. 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 It's awesome. It is awful. Oh, please. Jeffrey, was... Jeffrey had a helmet just recently that had yeah. that painted on the back of it. Just, uh, me and Kelly both texted each other and were like, really? that's just the worst photo. That was like, the, this is what you want to put on a helmet? Yes. Of all Hell the yeah. Dale Earnhardt. No. That's like Sorry. guy on a buffalo like well, level of badass. Well, I have a different opinion, guys. and nothing you say is going to change it. That's all right. Guys, that's the show. I hope you enjoyed it. Thanks, Joe Gibbs, for coming on. Absolutely. Just awesome stuff. Uh, hero of mine and uh, great friend. So enjoy it. We'll see you next week. This bit of badassery was made by Dirty Mo Media. Dirty Mo. Dirty Mo.